Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by MUBI, a curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. I won't grow up. I won't grow up. I don't want to go to school. I don't want to go to school. Just to learn to be a parrot. Just to learn to be a Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Robin Barr. Hello. <laughs> I'm doing my best Thomas and Mackenzie. I was about to say, uh, who is apparently representing the Lollipop Guild. <laughs> we also have Bill Graham. Oompa, loompa, oompa dee doo. Okay, I don't know what's happening. We've got... <laughs> Just invoking like the Lollipop metaphors. Guild has now brought in the Oompa Loompas. And our guest today to help us talk about Old, the newest film from M. Night Shyamalan, it's Logan Kenny. Hello, thank you for having me on. Uh, thank you for, for being on and uh, enduring us already. Uh, it's not going to get I'm very happy better. to be here. Awesome. Glad to hear it. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself to our audience? Uh, yes. Uh, sometimes uh, I write for the film stage when no one else wants to do anything. Uh, <laughs> I'm the guy they get. Um, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the backup. You're the utility uh, I, player. I, I will review anything that someone sends me a screener for because I'm just happy to be here. Um, That's a very I have a bear- like good, uh, not personality. What's the attitude to have? That's a great attitude. Yeah, I have, have. I have not. I have not earned my way to be here. I have not <laughs> earned my way to do anything in this industry. But I'm here anyway, and I'm going to make the most of it. Um, so, like with uh, my job at the actual film stage, I have coasted my way into guesting onto the show. Um, <laughs> sometimes uh, I write longer form stuff on my own Substack and for places such as Cinematary and Little White Lies, but mostly I just kind of lie around and do things that people tell me to do for money. Um, so, I'm excited to be here for free where I'm not getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> Look, man, exposure. Exposure is a thing. <laughs> uh, no, no, it's not. Um, but anyway, we are super glad to have you. Just the way you put that made me think, for whatever reason, of uh, Uncle Ugo from uh, Luca. Just like talking about like you open your mouth and the like, bits of whale just float in there. It's like, that's just you with screeners. You're like, yep, I got it. <laughs> yep. Just You've like, seen Luca too much, man. I've seen Luca so much. <laughs> And now I've seen, like, the entire series of Bluey, like, three times, too. Oh, my God. Courtney's going to, like, be so happy. She should be. Yeah, she wasn't lying. Bluey's adorable. All right. But anyway, I'm worried that my daughter's about to start speaking with an Australian accent. Why is that a worry? That's, like, a that's a bonus. Uh, give, her, give her my accent. Give her a Scottish accent. I will start it. showing her train spotting immediately. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a national pastime here. You know, you got to show the kids train spotting so they learn about the, the suffrage of life. Right. Yeah. I'll just, I'll just, uh, when she goes to sleep, I will play her the opening monologue from train spotting just on a loop. Yeah. She's I mean, life. she's got to learn sometime. Right. What is your, what region are you in? Is it like a Glaswegian or? Yes. Uh, okay. I was born in Glasgow. I live in a suburb of Glasgow. So I live about 15 minutes, 15, 20 minutes away from the city center. Nice. Um, so that's the accent. Uh, oh, so thankfully. it must be really late there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah was about uh, no one thinks geez. about this. Wait a second. Yes. What fucking time is it? It's like 4 a.m. where you are. 
It's one. It's one. It's one twenty a.m. Oh, okay. That's fine. Fine. Oh my god, I am so more. sorry. Here's no, the thing, fine. though. Now that I know that, uh, we can go as long as we want because if you say you have somewhere to be, I know you're lying. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I look, he wants I, to go I, to sleep at some point. No, I, yeah. no, I don't. No, I don't. It's fine. I'm here. I'm here for the long haul. However long you need me, I'm here. And okay. then I will probably go to bed like three hours afterwards because I have a broken sleep schedule. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's the summer. I don't have to do uh, normal sleep. It's fine. <laughs> um, yeah. But no, I, I'm I'm very happy to be here, even though it is uh, past midnight. So, we, we've you're had dedicated. A similar thing. We'd had someone on who was in like Germany or something. I feel and like got up at six a.m. or something to to podcast with us. Um, which I feel bad. I uh, I feel bad when I inconvenience people who like live next door to me, and I'm taking it global apparently with this it, uh, with this friggin' podcast. I'm pretty sure we had someone who was in India too once. It's an international podcast. I know. Just uh, it's not it's, it's not just Americanized. You know, you're expanding. I think I think we were like the number one movie podcast in Lithuania once. Ooh. Oh, that that rules. Bill, can you yeah. back me up? That happened, right? I'm pretty sure it was something like that. Yep. Yeah. Bill, were you eating? Did I like interrupt you eating? No, I was drinking. Oh, okay. <laughs> cool. Awesome. All right. Anyway, so we're all excited to be here because we get to talk about an M. Night Shyamalan film, and that is Old, which stars uh, Vicky Creeps and uh, Gail Garcia Bernal, uh, amongst many others. I also want to shout out Rufus Sewell, a guy who I, love I him. am always so good. super excited to see him in anything. Anything. You seen him in The Holiday? No. Have you seen him in Charles the Second? No. You got, you, got, you, you got to watch him in The Holiday. Him in The Holiday is one of the greatest like douchebag performances I've ever seen. I mean, that's like, what he's, he's such a dick in that. He's movie. he's so good at playing a dick. And what's funny is that I first became aware of him because of like Dark City. I was like, yeah. oh man, this guy is so good at like portraying vulnerability and like making you want him to succeed. And then like a Knight's Tale comes out, and I'm like, oh fuck that guy. Yeah, um, him in, he's not like a dick in The Father, but you just feel like if if there was more focus on him, you could just tell he was going to be an asshole. <laughs> um, and he's so good in The Father, too. He's just a great actor. I, I didn't know he was in the movie, so I was really excited when he turned up. Yeah, he like shows up in a scene and I was like, it's Rufus goddamn Sewell and everyone else. That's exactly what I did earlier today. Exactly to the up. same thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was awesome. Anyway, uh, so uh, this has turned into a Rufus Sewell uh, appreciation podcast, as it was always meant to, and so I'm super excited. But yes, uh, before we talk about old, the usual stuff up front, you can find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show. You can email us, podcastfilmstage.com, and of course, you can give us a comment rating on iTunes, which helps people discover the show and lets us know how we're doing in a very easy way. And you can become a patron of this by going to patreon.com slash show. At that point, you will uh, gain access to our Slack channel, and you can shout at us on the regular in real time, and we will usually respond. I was very glad to see that a bunch of people found the fact that uh, I got migraines from our last film to be hilarious. <laughs> One person literally said that knowing that made it worth subscribing to our Patreon, which uh, I'm going to try to take as a compliment. I don't know why or how, but that's what I've chosen to do with my life. And we are brought to you by Mubi, the curated streaming service that showcases exceptional films from around the globe. Every day, Mubi premieres a new film. It could be a cult favorite, Thomas classic, or acclaimed masterpiece. Either way, it's guaranteed to be a movie that you've been dying to see or one you've never heard of before. 
and there's always something new to discover. It's like having a film festival streaming anytime, anywhere, and they've got some cool shit. Last week we talked about air conditioner, and by last week I mean three days ago. Uh, I wanted to highlight uh, that now the Prostitutes of Leon Speak is on there. Um, in response to a scandal that linked Leon Vice Squad to local brothels, over 100 sex workers occupied a church in protest in this vital film. Carol Rosopoulos, I believe I said that right, records the women's testimonies bearing direct unvarnished witness to the birth of the modern-day sex workers' rights movement. In addition to that, we've also got uh, a... a it's uh, this this movie sounds freaking awesome and i'm super excited to watch it almost as soon as we're done um it's called sweat and the synopsis is as follows fitness influencer sylvia seemingly has it made hundreds of thousands of social media followers endorsement deals photo spreads and magazines but as she starts to share more online the rising pressure forces her to confront her deepest insecurities and the exhaustive demands of her lifestyle so yeah I, uh, I love me a movie that seems as though it could be skirting a kind of moral panic about uh, our lives online, but this one sounds like it's freaking great, and I'm looking forward to seeing it. If you would like to check out these movies, amongst many others, you can go to mubi.com slash filmstage for a free 30-day trial. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage. And that is that. Um... Is there anything that we'd like to talk about before we talk about old? I had some sausage from Bucky's and it was good. Awesome. I recommend the ven- venison sausage. Sweet. Um, I This is this is really uh, weird and like off kilter from how we usually are. But I do want to take a minute to plug an Instagram that I found that I have like every like, you know how you'll subscribe to an Instagram and then like by the third time you see it, you're like, oh, this is probably a mistake. But then you don't unfollow it. And so it just kind of lingers for a while. This is like the opposite of that. I don't even remember favoriting this one and following them, but I'm super excited that I did. It is at Film Lights, and it is an Instagram account that just does things about film lighting. Like, it shows the rigs, it shows the different techniques, and then it will often show you how those things are composited and compiled. There was one today, and it's just the type of thing where, like, even if you're a jaded, cynical son of a bitch like me, where you think you know how a movie is made, they they showed how they did a shot of a woman looking out of a snowy window at a sled dog team going across like a frozen lake. And it's it's like a scaffold <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. And there's just a window and that's what they shot. And they made it look like she was inside. And it's just the coolest thing. Because it literally, like, they shot it on a duck blind. And that's just so cool. I love it. And it shows all the lighting and stuff. And I was walking, watching this. And I was like, man, why doesn't everyone know about this? And I was like, I have a platform. I should shout at people to watch this. <laughs> so, yes. You go. If you're on Instagram, go to at Film Lights. And it's, uh, it's freaking awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I don't know. I was just like, like I said, I was watching and I was like, I must tell the world. But anyway, uh, if no one else has anything to talk about, we can get into our feature review, which is again of old, the newest film by M. Night Shyamalan Um, in a classic M. Night Shyamalan style. The uh, basic premise of this movie is simple yet effective. A bunch of people go to a secluded beach and they start to age really fast. Um, 
And I just off the cuff, like you will be surprised at uh, the things that will happen to a person if they are aging two years every hour. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just, I, I'm super excited to talk about this. Uh, this movie again stars Gail Garcia Bernal and Vicky Creeps, amongst many others, including Rufus Sewell. And here is the trailer. No kids allowed on the beach. What? We never leave each other. Nothing separates us. Are we there yet? You said five minutes. Technically, it's been more than five minutes. Let's just all start slowing down. Wow. Can you believe I found this online? I guess it's not that secret a beast. Right, so that is part of the trailer for Old, which is out in theaters now, and uh, we're here to talk about it. So let's begin with our spoiler-free thoughts, and let's begin with our guest. Logan, what did you think of Old? Um, I don't know how many people listening to this know of me or have talked to me before, but if you know anything about me, you know that I'm a huge M. Night Shyamalan fan, and I have been for a long time. And I loved old, um, just like I thought. I thought I would love it, and I walked in, and I walked all the way down to the cinema, and I knew I was going to love it. And I sat there, and I was still surprised by just how much I loved this movie. Um, it hit me on a very personal level. I was expecting it to be very effective in terms of like pure genre entertainment and existential like exploration of the self and aging and romance and all that kind of thing. But I wasn't expecting to ha- for it to hit me on such an emotional level, which is uh, maybe surprising that I didn't expect that, considering that Shyamalan's work has always had a very profound effect on me. But even considering that, I was still taken aback at just how hard this film hit me, how much it 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 got out of me. Um, I loved it. I think it's wonderful. I can't wait to get in to talk about all the details of why I loved it. But I'm a very, very big fan of the film old <laughs> very big fan all right bill graham so i really enjoyed this i think it is a little clumsy at times but uh overall i enjoyed my experience quite a bit um i don't think that this is going to be another one of those films that you can kind of present to people that have kind of fallen out of favor with uh m night Shyamalan. but i do think that this is still some upper level m night um i think The shame of it is that a lot of people will focus on his name and not focus on uh, just how good of a director he is in terms of uh, creating mood and tone, uh, camera work, things of that nature. Uh, This one definitely reminds me and gives me a a lot of uh, or gave a run for its money in terms of, uh, you know, the focus in the frame of something like uh, Paranormal Activity, the first one. Um, you really got to focus on some of the edges and things like that, and uh, I appreciated that. So, yeah, I really enjoyed the performances. I uh, thought certain parts were clumsy, and I'm sure we'll be able to get into that, but uh, overall, I enjoyed my experience quite a bit. I also uh, got to yell at my first uh, patron to turn off their phone uh, yeah. in a year and a half. The movies so, are back, uh, baby! <laughs> yeah, fun stuff. I um, I got to... 
you know, it's weird. Like movies have been doing even before the pandemic, the, uh, the reserve seating thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, I went to a movie with like, I don't know, maybe 10 to 15 people in it in a, in a much larger theater. And I walk in and, uh, somehow, somehow, people had sat in the seat that I had reserved for myself. What the fuck? I was like, like, I just don't under, I don't get it. I was like, how, 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 how has this happened? And I walked over to them. I was like, okay, here's the thing. You're sitting in my seat and I don't care. What are your seats so that I can sit in them so that I know I'm not about to sit in someone else's seat. And they were like, what? It's like, please look at your ticket. And they're like, Oh, we're one row back. I was like, perfect. I'm going to go sit in your seats. <laughs> so yes again the movies are back baby all right robin bar what are your thoughts on old uh yeah i'm pretty much with bill i would say um i definitely enjoyed it well i'll say this i enjoyed it until i didn't uh or i liked it until i didn't and i would say I was pretty much with it for the first two thirds uh, i found it very interesting i wasn't bored once um i wanted to keep going deeper and deeper into the into the mystery into the changes of environment changes of character that uh which i found very gripping and then at some point maybe like two-thirds of the way into the movie i it started to lose me i don't know if it just became too surreal or if people stopped responding like people to their environment there was something about it that i don't know i guess i kind of felt like it's like what I appreciate about the movie is that it's like, it knows it's a B movie. It very, it very much feels like an old school classic horror movie. Um, So I wasn't too put off by some of the things that like the other patrons in the movie theater that were were laughing at, like some of the dialogue was really cheesy or some of the, um, some of the interactions between people were really silly. Like the movie knows what it is, but then I started to feel it. I don't know if it was just like the way the plot progressed or the way that the characters were progressing, but it started to really grate on me. Like I kept thinking, why is this person acting like this? Like this doesn't make any sense, even in the context of the movie. And then of course, later we'll talk about the spoiler and how that impacted my viewing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, or like the the final knowledge of what this is all about. So that also, like I, I kept thinking this movie is so interesting and also very dumb and I still enjoyed it, but like Bill, I think there were some things that did feel clumsy about it. Um, that didn't really bother me until later in the movie. And as for me, um, I, I've, I've always been a fan of M night Shyamalan. I feel like even the movies of his that I haven't loved, I've still found things in them to appreciate. Um, and I, I really quite enjoyed old. I, uh, I don't know that I liked it as much as split or glass. Um, <clears throat> But I think I think this is you know what you would call top tier Shyamalan. I, I again I love the basic creepiness of the premise. I love his you know, and I don't know how much of it comes from the original graphic novel that it's based on, but I love his creativity in execution of the ideas that are on hand. And I just I've always really appreciated his his visual aesthetic, and I think that um, I don't know how it's possible to say that like he's. I think he might be an underrated stylist. I think people look a lot at his basic narrative and plots, but mm-hmm. they don't often seem to talk about his aesthetic styling, um, which I, in this movie in particular, really quite enjoy. And I, I, I loved watching this movie. I loved following along with it. 
and finding out what was happening. And I like, like this movie, it would be very easy for this movie to be kind of just a schlocky, kind of almost funny, exploitation-y kind of genre exercise. I think that it's his aesthetic choices, you know, and, and direction, honestly, just like as stupid as that sounds, that keeps it from dipping into that. I mean, in spoilers, we could talk about it, but there's things that happen that are ridiculous, but I could not laugh at because the way that he stages and builds up to these things is is dread inducing and horrifying and um and yeah i uh, i really enjoyed this movie uh not just because rufus sewell is in it um but yeah i mean it, this this thing it goes places it is unafraid to commit and uh mm-hmm. it's got a it's got a guy who's playing a rapper whose name is mid-sized sedan and um <laughs> honestly like as far as rap names go in movies i feel like that's one of the better ones like i could see that being a thing right i feel like mr sedan right i love that someone asked if like his surname was sedan it was just like so dumb but yeah no i um i could see i this is the thing though i'm so detached from the culture that i could what i feel like there have been times when i like scroll past a pitchfork review and i have no idea what they're talking about because I'm like, where does the artist's name start? So, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So, uh, yeah, really good movie. Uh, B plus, A minus. I don't know. <laughs> wow. Okay. I just, you know, I sat in the theater and I, I didn't want to look at my watch once. It was it was a good, creepy old time. And I appreciated what I was doing. And I think that the ending maybe, like, plays out the line a little too much. But uh, generally, I, I had a lot yeah. of questions and I, I kind of liked how it. And what's really interesting, actually, is... That the the stuff we find at the end only made me want to know more. Like so, that's I think a point in this movie's favor is that if if in a movie like this you you run the risk of over explaining, and I think that it's easy to believe that the movie has done that, um, which we'll get into obviously. But I I find myself even as I was approaching the computer to do this, like just I really want to learn more about this world and and the the the. The stuff in it. I don't want to say anymore. I don't want to spoil anything. Should we mm-hmm. jump into spoilers? Because I feel like it's really hard to talk about this movie without. I mean, legitimately, yes. I feel like, is there anything that is outside of the spectrum of spoilers that we would specifically like to talk about? You know, like, is there a performance that we thought really stuck out? But even then, you know, you gotta. That's it's gonna, really hot. Yeah. yeah. The music. The uh the yeah no let's just get in spoilers I can't think of anything I I was even just yeah, we're in spoilers now I'm just gonna say it so if you don't want to be spoiled don't listen uh, I was even gonna say I really loved as a as a distillery owner I loved the cocktails that were on display and then I realized that even discussing them could possibly lead to the spoiler that mm-hmm. they are laced with uh, pharmaceuticals that are being tested on people at this resort yeah I think I think I was really with the movie. Uh, even like even before we got to the um the spoiler or not the spoiler but the twist or whatever, like you kind of you got a lot of hints what the twist was because well I don't think it's a to, twist I think it's a reveal. yeah I don't think right. it's a twist either it doesn't recontextualize I, it's a reveal anything if anything yeah. people I mean think I think it does recontextualize but... only in the sense that you understand how everybody mm-hmm. got pulled into this place but yeah I maybe it's not a twist but it's definitely a reveal it's a contextualizer uh and i feel like they did do a lot of hinting with that 
but it just comes together in such a sloppy way that I, it, it, I'm not saying it ruins the movie for me, but I just kind of wish that hadn't been the actual choice that they went with because nothing about it made any sense. Like maybe from a schlock point of view. Yeah. Like that's interesting, but it absolutely makes no sense to do trials like pharmaceutical trials in this way. Like I from mean, a research standpoint, it made. Well, I it mean, yeah, I, you know, if I don't, I don't, I don't even know how to respond to what you just said. I, mean, <laughs> I know, and like, yes, a, a, a I thing, get it, but like, it's it's kind of hard. The thing about Shyamalan, and the thing that, that works about his movies to me is that he doesn't care about logic at all. It doesn't come into his peripheral. Logic is not as important to him as using narrative to define his characterization and his central like thesis is what he's going for. It doesn't really matter if it makes any sense to me because it's clearly not what he's interested in. He's never been interested in making things perfectly logical and that you can follow along everything with clear clarity and insight into how these like villainous people are acting. I feel like in, in Glass, which I think is his best film, um, within Sarah Paulson's character, you could also say that it kind of stretches uh, like the, the logic of the world that you can't really understand the perspective of our character or why these things are happening. It's a device to be used to further expand on the emotional catharsis and anguish of the film, which is why it doesn't bother me at all that his movies tend to just be like, well, you know, they can get a little clunky at times because it's going towards something greater. At least in my interpretation, I think that the kind of clunkiness of the ending's delivery just ends up with the power of the final shot. And I will take that any day because I think that Shyamalan's got his priorities committed to his character's interiority more than he does like the mechanics of the world, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think. And I I definitely give it, I mean, there are definitely directors that I give a lot more leeway to than others when it comes to, you know, just like the feeling or the experience. Like I, maybe there are other situations, other creators that I wouldn't be so annoyed by but I think because for for you or maybe for other viewers, maybe just the emotional experience of the film is enough. And for me, I'm like, mm-hmm. that just kind of feels underdeveloped. Like if you're going to if you're going to uh, go out of your way to twist the narrative in such a fashion, mm-hmm. then not thinking it through mm-hmm. just kind of dulls the experience for me. And mm-hmm. that's purely from like a, <laughs> like forget the fact that they're villains maybe in their you know whatever i don't even think of them as villains per se they're just you know big pharma it's just that like science oh, what, doesn't work that way you've never seen the constant gardener <laughs> no but i'm saying like it, it but it's just it's like goes beyond villainry because you could make a lot of arguments about moral relativism but it's like that's not even the point the point is just like it's science that doesn't make any sense and that's what annoys me about it mm-hmm. just you wouldn't have trials that run that way. There's a better way to execute this, and I don't know what it is. Here's the question, though. If if the is, I feel like, and again, I am not a scientist, but I mean, it made sense to me. It's like if yeah. you have a what? place that, yeah, it, you, like, it's you, not I, replicable I, in any way. Well, that's the, the you know, this isn't like the FDA trial, but they are able to say like, okay. 
you know, uh, don't, so, don't yes, make me defend these, these people, people who are sending duress. people to die. It just I mean, makes no sense because why would you bring their kids? Why would you put them under duress? Like they, they, they clearly are trying to fix that, right? Like that's that was one of the guys' like suggestions. Oh in my god, the movie that was the best the part of the whole movie. Is when this guy's like, hey, so like, look, I'm on board with the fact that we're sending people to die, but. I do think we need to separate the mental health from the physical health people. He's like, I have told you a thousand times, Gregory, you write up a memo, you send it up the ladder, and we let corporate decide. Yeah, yeah, bureaucracy jokes, I I get it. Yeah, I fucking love that. That's awesome. What do you mean, yeah, yeah, bureaucracy jokes, I I get it. Like, we're, like, It was such an obvious punchline. I don't agree, I was not expecting that to happen. (laughs) It's it's also addressing what you are talking about. Like like here's a guy that's actually like thinking things through and saying yes, these aren't necessarily repeatable, right? If we have these things, but also I don't think they're worried about repeatable. I think what they're worried about is testing it out quickly and efficiently, and you can do that in a day here. And yeah, but you, what you can't do is figure out what it's going to be like in the real world if you're putting them under such an intense intense stress and think about like the neurotransmitters think about like the the rush of um i don't know like adrenaline and all that kind of stuff that you're experiencing so you're putting characters in these artificial life situations that is increasing the chemicals in their bodies that they normally wouldn't experience or wouldn't normally interact with this cocktail that they're giving them so like right, well, literally they, it makes no sense that's it's why they just move bad on, science they move on to they, that, that but then they say like okay now that we've done this now we have to do actual trials so like they know that this is an imperfect system but like you know they were able to know that they stopped seizures for like 16 years without having to wait 16 years for a person to have a seizure. So like they now have a, a, a broad baseline within to, which with within which to operate. I mean so like what's the point of bringing the children? Is it just I, laziness? I think it is. I think it might just well, be The a, thing is if you've got like a bunch of people that fit your definitions, how many like single people in their fifth like, like people in their 50s with like for example like mental health issues or like within Rufus Sewell, who can afford to go to a resort? How many of them don't have families? Right. I think like, that they're many collateral of them would damage. go to a, like how many like people, like, for example, how many like women in their forties who work as like who have like epilepsy are going to go on a solo adventure around the world spontaneously? Usually I think there's a lot of cases with this, they've got their families and they view their families as collateral damage because like if you're gonna test it out, you can't force them to do it you can't just force them to like go to this beach like under duress they've they manipulate them to go and they know that the only way they'll get them to go is with their kids sometimes and they clearly don't care about that as long as it helps other people they view them as like as collateral damage um like i just like i could understand if that like is a problem i just like it's clear that the movie has more important things on its mind than the science mm-hmm. behind it. So I never even consider it. The thing is, I think I can understand people not liking the way it's approached because it is a little clunky and I love M night. And that is like, he has got some clunky elements of his writing in terms of like connecting the tissue. 
Um, it's clear that he wants the ending to be a certain way. Um, and I think that the actual final scene is so effective and it wouldn't be as effective without the contextualization because you do need to contextualize it if you're going to get the ending on the helicopter. And the way he contextualizes it isn't perfect, but I, I it was interesting enough because I'd been so immersed in the film that it was interesting to find out more of it. And it does pay off in an emotionally concrete way that like keeps its characters in the in the peripheral. Like in, if, it, if it had just been like clunkiness for the sake of it and it had no like emotional payoff and they did drown at the end and it's just like these these scientists like kind of rubbing it in her face i think that that may have been more of a problem but it's yeah. clearly just a means to an end so that the emotion of of the two kids getting to end it to get to go home right but That's... are still like embedded with the trauma of they've lost half their lives to this fucking beach it's the, it is 100% that it is it is it is sort of smartly looking at this situation and being like okay this is a movie that wants to appeal to a wide audience it's not just going to like you know go into three landmark cinemas and then become a blu-ray that people will show off like we can't have these people go to a beach that captures them for no reason and happens for no reason and then they just get old and die like we need to have a way for them to win and they can't beat aging, but they can undo like this sinister cabal of of people. Mm-hmm. And like, so yeah, like the it it almost doesn't have to make sense. It just has to be like evil enough and banal enough that these two can come in and break it up and destroy uh, it, and then be like, uh, all right, well, we did it. Like that's the I best th- we can hope for. And, and I also, think it works. Oh, sorry. Well, I was also going to say, like, you know, I think that. In, in truth, the real victory in this movie is them getting to see their parents come back together because, like, they mm-hmm. begin the movie huddled together mm-hmm. in bed in paradise, like, scared and not certain of what to do because they can hear their parents fighting. And then they get to end the movie watching their parents, you know, huddled together, clearly once again in love. You know, and and the father passes and then the mother, you know, only a few scant minutes later also passes. Mm-hmm. And then what happens is the kids, you know, uh, uh, excuse me, sir. Castle. Well, at that point, excuse they're 50. me, sir. Yes, I'm sorry. Bill. No, 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 no. Uh, that woman does not pass away a few scant minutes later. She passes away. What? Like maybe a, a year later? Months. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, you know, uh, you know what I mean, though? <laughs> But anyway, yeah, yeah. also I, I the kids you. are now 50. Um, but like, I, yeah, they, they find a, a moment of happiness because suddenly their parents whom they love were together again. So they get that. And then they decide to build a sandcastle. Like they, I, it's I, kind of beautiful. Yeah, I think I think the thing is, I think it works a lot in comparison with Glass, which I briefly mentioned. But Glass is another movie that has like a divisive ending. And I think the ending of Glass is perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ending of Glass is is one where the heroes lose, where they mm-hmm. die. They all die, all three of them. They die without getting the big showdown. They die like alone, scared, with the people that love them looking on helpless. They die painfully. And yet, at the end, there is still the destruction of the system that led to their deaths. Mm-hmm. And most importantly, the gesture of kindness, compassion, and love between the people that remember them and love them. And it's it's the exact same thing in old. It is the the core characters, the heroes, the parents, they die. 
and there's nothing that you can do to stop their deaths. It is inevitable. They have to die. They will die because of this. You can't change that. You can't de-age them. You can't bring them back. But using what they died for, you destroy the thing that killed them and stop the people from doing the same thing. And just like in Glass, where the key gesture of the ending is three people who are bonded by trauma holding each other's hand, the brother and sister hold each other's hand on on the helicopter. And Mm -hmm. I don't think, I think the thing is about Glass and about Old is that they are like endings that wrap up and give you like, an element of the satisfaction of like a typical Hollywood ending, but they are fucking sad endings. These Mm -hmm. kids have lost everything. They have lost their parents. (laughs) They are children in like middle-aged bodies. They have went through so much trauma and they are going home to a a future that they already know is uncertain because the, the line from, from, from the, from the male, from the male kid, I forget his character's name, but his line is basically like, what would you do? Hmm? Idlib? No, no, no. The uh, the Trent, I think. Trent, there, Trent. Um, oh. a Trent's line where it's like, uh, "What would you? How would you react if like your six year old's like nephew is now like a fifty year old body?" Right, a fifty year old like, man called you and claimed to be your six year old nephew. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's um, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's, I mean it's, these people it's are a chilling fucked. <laughs> yeah, like and it's 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 horrifying and it does like undermine and destroy the system that led to it. But they they are still traumatized. They are still suffering. And I think what M. Night Shyamalan's like best features in his work, and especially in recent years when he has approached and made movies directly about trauma without pretending to be about trauma, is that he shows that sometimes the most important thing you can do is just have someone there that knows what it's like and that will hold your hand. And you can look forward into our future, even if it's going to be painful to get there. And I think the the, the thing about Shyamalan's work is that he is so 100% sincere. You, There is never a moment in his career, never an emotional moment where you think he's, he's bullshitting you. You know he believes it. And whether or not that works for you is completely subjective. But he <laughs> is so sincere with oh, yeah. what I mean, he's going for and old. That's like, his... so sincere. And that's why it works so well for me. Well, that's one of his biggest flaws, you know, honestly, is is his inability to not be incredibly sincere. Like, it, and I don't know if even flaw is the right word, but like that is that is the thing that trips him up with a lot of people and can get him in trouble mm-hmm. because... That's why I love him and why I love his work. I, I mean, I had the same kind of reaction to, um, to, uh, to Darren Aronofsky. Like, he... There's just like a purity of purpose sure, and but intent. Like mother. Yeah. Yeah. And even Noah. I mean, think about Noah. Like that's the most mm-hmm. straight faced, yeah. irony free thing that you could well, possibly make I out think, of Noah's Ark. It's crazy. I think the distinction between the two of them is that Shyamalan is sincere with his love for people, and Aronofsky is sincere uh, how nihilistic he can be. Yeah. He's a sincere point. nihilist. <laughs> yep. And I think that that's why I love one and border on disliking the other is because even at his most contrived Shyamalan is making movies because he believes in the power of storytelling. He believes in the power of communication. He believes in the power of people working together, whether it's like throughout his entire career, like in unbreakable, the dynamic between Bruce Willis and Robin Wright is like absolutely devastating, heartbreaking. Right. The, the, or the Tony Collette and his son in The Sixth Sense. The true you catharsis in, in both of those movies is the repaired relationship that comes about from mm-hmm. understanding and embracing what has happened to you. Yes. Yeah. That is that is the most that's I that's that's the theme that defines his career for sure. And that's why I think that in especially in like a current climate where like 
I think that so much of like the structure of like emotions in big budget Hollywood movies is so nakedly false and constructed. You look and not to make this a big rant, but like you look at like Avengers Endgame or something like Ugh. that, and you can see every emotional beat coming from a mile away, and you don't believe they believe it. And yeah, it might work for some people. I can get why. But I think that even if you don't feel that emotion to watch Shyamalan, you can't deny that he does actually care. And I think that we need filmmakers that care and they try big things because they're invested. Whether or not you like him is obviously up to you. But I love the fact that a filmmaker can look at this concept and think, how can I make people feel so much emotions towards this. We can disturb them, yes, but I think the core of old is how much it wants you to get invested in these human struggles, well, these to, characters that are going through so much. And to that end, I think that, you know, it, it's it comes down to like storytelling. Like, you know, Shyamalan, I think one of the reasons that people get on him for his his twists being weak, if you want to call them twists or whatever, is because he's spent a lot more time trying to come up with what the emotional arcs are and so he will, despite possibly being most famous for the twists, not always land the twist in a reasonable or or perfectly executed way because he's like, but the emotional part, that's what matters. And unfortunately, like, I have to disagree because if you've built up to a big twist, people aren't going to expect that mm. to work. Um, yep. And, and so it, it, there is a trade-off there. Mm -hmm. But I do appreciate that he... You know, if if you're looking at at uh at at the uh, if you're looking at a, a movie like a car, you know, he, he's building the frame and the engine out of of the emotions, and you know, he he might fuck up the paint job or the styling, you know, might you know not use the best leather on the interior, but the car is going to be sturdy and it's going to go where it needs to go. Whereas, like, you know, the Avengers, it's action all the way until you get to like the paint job. And then they're like, Oh, and mm -hmm. these two characters kiss. It doesn't make any sense, but we know you people might want that. And I'd rather just... have someone who, who, you know, does the engineering on an emotional level and then uses the genre as the aesthetic choices mm -hmm. rather than someone who does it the opposite way around. I think he's a, I think he's a very talented storyteller in terms of like structuring narratives most of the time. Um, and I, cause like when you look at, I think if you look at, um, the East Rail trilogy. I think they're all ingeniously structured films. I think they're well written, not just on an emotional level, but on like every facet of the narrative. I think they they run very well. But I love you know, that you films... called it the the East Rail trilogy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's yeah, that's that's, that's glass and unbreakable. It's yeah, and unbreakable split, yeah. glass and split because it's all people yeah, who are tied yeah. together by the crash of the East Rail yeah. train. And I and I uh, I love those movies, and I think they are very well. And I think Shyamalan is yes he, he uses emotions as the prism to where he begins his narratives but when you look at something like the village i think the village is like an ingeniously crafted movie and i like, love that movie and i think <laughs> i, I know, think I that know I, people that's the it. one the that is, is that is the breaking point that is the for a lot of people that is the split yeah. and i didn't yeah. do that but then i decided to lean into it because like I, that's when people were like oh this is genius oh this is bullshit and then everyone kind of turns on lady in the water but I like, love Lady in the Water. That's I that, I, all right. I have I have been on your side for a lot of this podcast in ways that I might would, surprise I, people, look, but I will not follow you there. Look, look. The thing is, <laughs> is that I think when we talk about like twists, Shyamalan, I think Shyamalan got defined by the twist because yeah, it's one hundred percent. The sixth sense defined it. 
But when you look, when you watch The Sixth Sense, it's it's not about the reveal at all. That is not a movie about the the, the shock and horror of like Bruce Willis not being alive. It is about how he can affect the relationship between himself and Holy Haley Joel Osment. And it's about how he relates to himself and his place in the universe. Like the twist is like shocking, but it, it furthers the existential themes already present in the movie. And Unbreakable is very similar where it is a twist technically, but it only it's only there to further the emotional sturdiness of the narrative and continue on the themes of characterization. So, the signs does not have a twist. That is, it is blatantly obvious throughout the movie. And I feel old is the, sim- the same way. These are like, yeah, reveals, but they are clear, like thematically mm-hmm. linked. They're always present in the movie. It is not subtle to anyone who's paying attention that old is like, it's a manipulated circumstance. And I, I, I just, right, I guy appreciate yeah, they, they, they like, walks up to the table and says, I only do this for specific people. Yeah, like, I've hand selected. Like, Sha- like, oh, so this and, clearly and, isn't a mistake. And Shyamalan's character where he, who he plays in the movie basically extremely says, I am not going down to that beach. You're, you're just going to have to go yourself. He's like, no, no, like, you're good. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, you all you, made sure to leave your passports in your room, right? All right, cool. Yeah. Thanks. It's like, like, that's the thing about Shyamalan is that like, his, <laughs> the, he, he's not a subtle filmmaker. And I don't think he needs to be, you know, he's very straightforward. He's very emotional and he's very blunt. He, he, he shows what he's interested in. He shows what you want, what he wants the audience to pick up on. And I think that his, his idea of being so straightforward means that sometimes his dialogue can come off as clunky, but like, it's like, he is so good at creating atmospheres that I have never, I never viewed as a problem. And I think every performance in the movie is really great. Um, even if you, sometimes you can think, oh, well, the dialogue's a little stilted. I think it's a clear, like, you know, that's maybe not as great, great strength as a writer, but it fits into his world so well. And he, he justifies it constantly, I feel. And like when it, you look at Lady in the Water, and I know people don't like Lady in the Water. And I understand why people don't like Lady in the Water. Mm-hmm. But that is a movie made by someone who was on top of the world at the point. He had made like four movies in a row, whether the village divided people or not. It was like a hit. And it was mm-hmm. liked by a lot of people. And he decided that this is what he wanted to do. He took a huge swing. And for most people, it failed. But instead of like going and making some like bullshit, and you can, t- I mean, The Last Airbender is bullshit um, in some ways. But like, instead of I like, I don't know what that. I don't know oh, what that is, though. I, I don't yeah. know if that is a corporate job or if that's just that, some, I, some underlying passion that he had. Yeah, I mean, he made it for his kids. He made it for his kids. Yeah. And so, like, yeah. and that's the thing. But it's like the thing about Shyamalan is he took this huge swing with leading the water. And for some people, it works. And for some people, it doesn't. Most people, it doesn't. But I will defend it because the way that I look at movies is that. I, I do not care about the mechanic. I like mechanics when it's like really well structured. Like I really like the, the latest Soderbergh film because it was so well structured and so well applied. <laughs> and I enjoyed that on that kind of machination level. Yeah. But when I will, when I look at a movie, when I go for a movie, I want to feel something. I want to feel overwhelmed by it. I, I don't mind movies with flaws narratively or logically, as long as they get to the core of like the human experience or the human condition. That's what I look for. That's what I love. And M. Night Shyamalan is the same way. He uses these movies as a way to speak to people or at least to speak to a part of himself. And instead of like closing up as soon as like Lady in the Water happened and like making something just really hollow with nothing in it, he went and made The Happening, which is this weird ass fucking dark comedy that everyone hated. 
but like he kept going he keeps making things and like whether and the thing is it could even if the visit didn't happen and didn't shift the culture back on his side in a lot of ways he would have kept going and making the movies that spoke to him the way that he wanted to and I, I love that. I love a filmmaker. And because you look at him like from the sixth sense on to old, he's covering a lot of the same ground over most of his movies. He's doing it in different ways in a lot of times. And it has received very, very mixed critical reception over the course of it. But he is steadfast and more interesting. And he will do it in such interesting, stylized and like deeply human ways. And I just... Like there's so much negativity towards him in, in culture because like he relies on twists too much or his dialogue's bad or he made like bad movies for 10 years or whatever. And I just think that he goes for these like big choices across like 20 years of filmmaking, focusing mm-hmm. on like very similar thematic elements throughout. And yes, it's been divisive a lot, but he's never stepped away from it. Even in something like The Last Airbender, where he does have like there's this weird kind of like elegance to the way he films the bending, even if the movie's like a bit like it's not the best he's ever done, but like, he's still like, there's, there's this kind of natural talent and elegance behind his work as a, as a director, but as a storyteller, he just, he commits to what he's interested in. He's commits to the human elements of his stories. He, he makes a, a movie where it's about a beach that turns people old and he makes you care. Because that's what he is. That's the kind of filmmaker he is. And it makes me so mad when people dismiss him as this like washed up hack because he writes twists in a certain way or because he has a stilted view of dialogue or like any of these reasons because he doesn't make like, oh, like the cinematography or the, the, the logic wasn't perfect in every aspect. Like he doesn't make movies like a checklist. And he makes movies based off of what speak to him. And he uses the form to help elevate his thematic interests. And I love that. Well, well, why do you care? Because I definitely don't think I cared about the fates of the characters in terms of like their emotions or their lives or whether they would die or not. I was just like, what's going on? Like, I wanted to see how it's how it was going to unfold. Mm -hmm. But I don't think I was emotionally invested in like the marriage. I, See, I, I think I, I think I, the characters are really well written. And yeah, really I, thought, well, I, I think they're, they're really were, dynamic. They feel like they've been together for a long time. Yeah, and I, there's like a there's like it, it, it's almost it, it comes off as still to this, but I think there's like a shorthand to the way that they mm-hmm. speak to each other. Yeah, um, I, you know, all way, you care about like, is the past. All you care about is the future. Like, <laughs> I, I think well, the thing is, is that, I mean, like, that's what, a, that's well, I'll say like that is a that is a super trite way to 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 state like the theme of these two people, but like the fact that she says something like an irrelevant disease and he like, you know, Oh my God. Like, you know, it's, it's clear that like she's using a style of speaking and belittling his concerns or thoughts that he Mm -hmm. is used to. Like there's, there is just a comfort and a shorthand to what they're doing. And again, I think like seeing the way that those kids like support each other, Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I I don't know. Like, it's, I think there's an economy of storytelling there that I think uh, that I think I, brings it I together. Think, I think the most important thing about it is that throughout every major narrative development, it makes sure to center how their relationship is affected by it. It keeps mm-hmm. the relationship in the in the in the front. Like when their kids are going through it, it focuses on both of their faces reacting separately and together. It makes it, it makes it clear throughout every element of the film that this relationship is like the key. And I think that Shyamalan, I, I, I always, I think that Shyamalan's greatest strength as a writer is how he develops relationships between his characters. 
Um, whether it's like, like I think Bruce Willis and Spencer Treat Clark in both Unbreakable and Glass is one of the greatest father-son uh, dynamics in any movie because I think it's so well written. Um, not necessarily in like all, all the dialogue is perfect, but in the way that it captures the sense of, oh yeah, they've, they've lived together their whole lives. They've known each other their whole lives. Like, and that's why I feel like I love the, the way that the sister and brother dynamic changes across the film. I love the, like, and yeah, sometimes you can make these kind of broad gestures, but I think he does a very good job at establishing co- core traits of every character's personality shows how they react to like a variety of different things. And even with like the most unlikable characters, he includes these like these little signifiers of them that makes you remember that they are human being. Like with Rufus Sewell, like his constant obsession over like what movie was Marlon Brando and Jack Nicholson in. It's that little mm-hmm. element. And it is a little contrived at first, but by the more it comes across, the more it brings up, it feels more organic and naturalistic in form of his character to the point where like when he's like in the cave and he just keeps, he's desperate for his mother is like really devastating, even though you know about his character. And I think that that's, I, I, I bought into every character and I cared about every character to a, a varying degree um, I think- because I think that is the main center of the movie less so than figuring out what's going on because i think that Shyamalan he basically blatantly tells you all the things that they can't do um almost immediately (laughs) so it's not about the mystery of it or how are they going to escape really it's about how these people cope with it and i think that's his center and i think Sewell honestly captures a little bit this is gonna get me in trouble with cinephiles he captures a little bit of the energy that anthony hopkins had in the father I agree. Yeah. yeah. Like, well, it was, I think it was definitely supposed to be early onset Alzheimer's. Right. Or, yeah, because you know, he couldn't remember. Yeah. Right. Some level of dementia setting in, you know. So, like, you know, just it was funny because I am um, I've been watching a, a lot of I've been watching a lot of Royal Pains. I don't know. And there's a thing that happens in medical shows when someone's about to do something like intense and crazy where they'll start talking about something that is seemingly off topic and it will either be a way to distract the patient from the immense amount of pain and discomfort they're about to feel, or it will somehow play in to like what's going on. Like it'll have a little moral. So I kept waiting for the name of the movie to mean something, but it never did. It, I like I didn't even realize at first that something was wrong. I was like, oh, he's doing that classic. It wasn't really a literary about. device. It was. It was. Uh, no, it was his going, it was his yeah. mind going, which I it I took mean, me a second to figure out. So I was really in it. With the characters who were like, dude, you need to cut her open. This thing is a cantaloupe now. And it was a golf ball a second ago. I I read somewhere they were like, oh, this character who developed schizophrenia. And I was like, first of all, you don't just develop schizophrenia in your 60s. That's just like not a thing. Well, like it was I, so right. obviously dementia or like something related to his memory. Right. I've read and- a lot of reviews of this film that have made me wonder how closely people pay attention to movies because uh, one of the mm-hmm. reviews said that they aged five years in an hour. No. And I'm but- like, no, they say like a couple times it's two years. Like what the, what the fuck? <laughs> so I do wonder about that. But yeah. I just- and also I think, I think the kids lend a lot in terms yeah. of, of the, like the emotional core of the movie. And what's like, what's, what's interesting is, you know, this is, it's, it's, it's not, you can barely even call it a metaphor cause it's just the actual text of the movie, but you get to see these people grow up into their new roles and you are externalizing and literalizing a feeling that you have mm-hmm. like, like I, I, I was talking to my babysitter today, right? I come home 
from working at the distillery and she's been with my daughter for like five hours and she and I step onto my front porch to talk and she is 21 years old and I am 34 and my daughter's five. And I was just like, I, like there are times when I still think of myself as like an idiot college student. And this mm-hmm. person is looking at me as like, oh, this is the father of the five-year-old I just watched. This is the full-grown human adult mm-hmm. who owns a yeah. house and has a job. And like, I just can't get over that because like, I don't yeah, think I, I, that I've... I have trouble, I have trouble like dealing with my, not mortality, but my mm-hmm. age just in general. Um, you know, I, I coach CrossFit and yeah, uh, I have you know 20 year olds come in there all the time and i'm nearly 35 now and i look at them and sometimes i'm doing workouts next to them and i'm just like why the fuck do they have so much more energy than i do (laughs) and then i realize i'm not 20 years old anymore and i'm like what the fuck is going on and it, it it was really interesting because like i love college football and it was a real eye opener when I started calling them kids and I <laughs> yeah. realized that I was calling like I was just there. I just graduated mm-hmm. in 2009 and it's like, but these are fucking children that yep. I'm looking at play, I, pro, you know, uh, football. I mean, <laughs> just like, I, went what? To my, I went to a, a DC United game uh, like many years ago. Like I must have been 25 or something. And it was the first time that I became aware of the fact that all of those players were younger than me at like a professional (laughs) soccer game. I was like, oh, my God, the oldest player on this team is 24. I'm still older than like I nearly had a panic attack. I also almost had a panic attack today in church, which was fun. The thing for me, it's different because I'm the I'm young. So I I, I, because I'm because I am a college student. Okay, there you go. So like how old are you? I'm 19. I turned 20 in a few weeks. Oh, you're in university. <laughs> yes, I'm in university. Are you getting an O um, level? Uh, no, that that's that's England. <laughs> I have um, no idea. Don't. Uh, this call is a different country. Um, but the thing about wait a second. Me, so what you have it's well. Here's the thing. Okay, wait, because America has has like degrees, and then London has or England has whatever it's got. So wait, what what do you have in Scotland? Why isn't everyone just operating on the same level? No, okay. So in high school, so in high school, it's like GCSEs, which is like wow. A levels, O levels, stuff like that. That's insane. Uh, for England, um, and for Scotland, high school is based off of national fours, national fives, and hires. And uh, in university, you get like a variety of degrees. But what I'm currently doing is an HND program, which will get me into a higher university for media. Um, it am, it's very boring. I am and both I'm, sad, but also super happy that I asked because I'm over here. And I feel like this is another thing. Like in school, we used to like make fun of America because it'd be like in the rest of the world, it's autumn, you know, because it's a, like, you know, it's like it is the Latin. Awesome. And then it in America, awesome in it's fall because leaves fall down. That's no, because America still does that. Like you called it soccer and every other country is football. I am aware that it's Because football. you kick it with your feet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but like the thing is, so what old got for me is that like i am young but because of the experiences i've had in my life i feel that i feel so tired all the time because i have been through a lot and yep. what and it's what also I 1 really, a.m yeah but well, the, it's 2 a.m like, in a, in a, like, I, I watched the movie at like 7 p.m i wasn't tired at 7 p.m <laughs> but like <laughs> that's the thing is like i guess I that was. kind of like i related to the kids because it's not because like time, like, time is like slipping away from it, but also it's 
Like I relate to the kids because like they are going through so much at such a young age and they are like still spiritually young, but they are fucked up and they have to deal with this forever. And that, I, that element I really connect to is like it, because like being, being, being like being young, like does feel like, and you might, you might disagree, but because from the difference of perspective of my current frame of being young is just, I, I am tired and I'm exhausted and I have been beaten down by the world, even though I am young, even though I have all these things. And in old, it kind of captures the fact that whether you're middle-aged or you're like a teenager or an adolescent, life is fucking hard. And the existential turmoils that affect like people in their 40s or their 50s are similar to the ones that affect these kids who are suddenly growing up and dealing with their bodies and realizing that everything is hard. And I think mm-hmm. that Shyamalan's old kind of gets on that kind of almost a universal level, whereas if you're suffering, like I'm suffering from grief and trauma, well, you so can that's... get so much out of that. Or yeah. you can just be dealing with existential angst from aging and you get that from it. And I think that's what's so interesting about old is that it's like the thing about Shyamalan's work is that you have to give some of yourself to get a lot out of it. You have to offer yourself your emotions in. You have to accept that you have to bring a part of yourself to the table because you're not going to get as much out of it if you just view it, and view it through a purely objective lens, I feel. And I think well, that's a big problem with the, the criticism around them. I, think I don't that, see why how we got any of that existentialism from the kids. I mean, maybe. Oh my God, are you? What, oh, wait, wait, a, no, a no, no, no. Let's, let's, let's let Robin talk. I want to. I want to hear her okay. before from she... Alex Wolf. Like I, I see that in his performance slightly, but why did we get that from him, but not Eliza Scanlon, who is almost non-existent in this movie? Uh, and her character was the most interesting to me because. I mean, spoiler, she gets pregnant. We are, we are 100% in spoilers. <laughs> yeah, like she gets pregnant as and the mental age of six and has a baby within about 20 minutes and gives birth and then the baby dies and then she carries around its corpse for the rest of the movie until it turns to dust. And yet there's no character there. There's nothing. And she climbs up a mountain and falls and dies. And there is so much... There is so much that could have been done with that character, especially if you want to have a comment on, say, like precocious puberty or giving birth at a very young age, which is which is a, a thing that does happen across the world um, is children having children. And it's it's like a blip in the movie. It's like, oh, here's some body horror. And then we do nothing to explore it. So well, I don't I don't I don't know that the movie is is looking to make a statement on. Well, it's it's interesting because but it like, is because that's they, the whole point of the movie, isn't well, it? No, well, I so what, man, we're gonna be here for like four hours. Um, so the the movie makes a point of having the kids talking about how they can feel their men- mental space changing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, they talk about like how they're the Thomas and Minch's colors. Yeah, yeah, like there's more colors, but they're dimmer. She used to only be able to have one thought, but now she's got a lot of thoughts all at once. Like it. Honestly, as I was watching the movie and she was saying that, I was thinking of, of like me, like during the course of any given time, I have like 17 different trains of thought heading off in different directions Mm -hmm. and sometimes colliding and killing all the passengers on board. And my (laughs) daughter, meanwhile, has like one track mind. It's there. There is an immediacy to what she needs. And I but like, yeah, like she's very hyper sensitive and attuned to everything that's going on. 
and seems to feel things a lot harder, but can only feel one thing at a time. And so mm-hmm. to, to hear that externalized, I found to be incredibly interesting. And then, you know, you've got, you got uh, Trent and, um, and Cassie, right? Her name was Cassie? I think so, yeah. That's Eliza Scanlon's character. Yes. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Her name is according to IMDb Kara. She was the, the... I thought she was Cassie, too. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, no, Kara. All right. Well, Blonde, um, short hair. A lot of people with cuh sounds in their name. Anyway, so, yeah. Uh, she was the... She was in... She was in Little Women, right? She's the bookish mm-hmm. one who's fated to and die. And Baby Teeth. I have not seen Baby Teeth. Yes, Beth. She's, she's Beth she's, in Little she's Women. In, she's in... She's the little sister in Sharp Objects, where she's doing something similar to what she's doing here, in my opinion. But, like, you know, they, they have a really interesting conversation about how you know they're changing and they know it but they don't quite mind like they've sort of embraced it in a way and they feel like a closeness and a connection and then obviously they, they they have sex and then they have a baby but unfortunately like mm-hmm. this beach as i think uh, i think it's mid-sized sedan who says it right like this this beach mm-hmm. is they like cannot support a baby like that's just that's not how it works here it moves too fast there's something structurally that I would like to suggest. Um, the, th- the film starts off very, not slow, but it, it takes its time getting you introduced into its character's world. It lets you acquaint yourselves with them as they reveal, realize the extent of their situation. Then throughout like the second and most of the third act, it accelerates. Things get faster because they're running out of time. They're growing older. People are dying around them. The pace gets more relenting. There's less time to slow down and breathe and get to experience these characters suffering. And why the third act is so emotional and monumental to me is that Gail Garcia Bernal and Vicky Creeps, they just stop and they just sit and they accept where they are and they accept that they have time together. And to me, the best scene in the movie is... Well, the two best scenes in the film are their last moments together, mm-hmm. which are breathtaking, in my opinion. I think some of the best in Shyamalan's whole career. But also, like you mentioned earlier, Brian, the sandcastle scene is yeah. maybe, I think, the personification of the existentialism and the emotion. Mm-hmm. Because the thing about it, and it is so simple, they are giving up years of their lives to have this one happy moment. They get to build a sandcastle, embrace their childhoods before they look for a way out. Because And they give up so much of their lives just to have that happy memory. And it's it's such a grace note. It's such a beautiful little grace note. And I think, and I don't know, it's just when I see that scene, like when I saw that scene, I started sobbing because it was just like, it was so, so emotional. And it was emotional in a different way from the second act because I think there's very, very emotional scenes in the second act, particularly when after Eliza Scanlon passes away, Alex Wolf's face convulses. He is he reacts like a child would to yeah. grief because he can't process it. And it's like one of the and I think Alex Wolf is a very, very talented actor at conveying grief, even in films I don't really like. Like I'm not a hereditary fan, but I think he's really good in it. Oh, I love um, him. In he's that. got a face like, made for trauma. I think, I think is like, the way that he, I he's, put it. And he's great in Pig for similar reasons. I think he's great in Pig. Oh, he's um, pig. but like um, he's phenomenal in Pig. Um, but like he's a great actor, and he conveys that like overwhelming distress. And by the time that it leads to the end, it, the distress has they've accepted that their lives are fading from them, and they are going to try and embrace what they can while they can. We can look for a solution or we can just make the sandcastle and have fun and enjoy it 
because we've spent so much of our lives stressing about everything that we forgot all, all how to 24 be 24 hours of it yeah <laughs> well that's but, the thing is that's but, why i said that's you can't I even you can't even call it like a metaphor because it's just the text of the film yeah like, that's, that's how yeah. it is and so, yeah, and like, then like a you magical were... Deus Ex Machina comes through, and they just remember I, to decode the letter from Idlib, I, I, and well, they I, find well, the I, coral. I would say, I would, I, I cannot deny that it, it, that the coral thing is a Deus Ex Machina because I don't know that the coral thing makes a lot of sense on a scientific level. But I don't think anything is supposed to make sense at a scientific does, level. Yeah. But the thing is, hold on, I, I gotta say, yeah, the thing is, they have, okay, the movie is. Hey, we're all alive. Like, let's go to this beach and have fun. And then suddenly it's as though the, and this actually ties into me having a panic attack in church today. Um, the immediacy and the, uh, like the, the encroachment and the ineffable, inescapable truth of their own mortality hits them. And there are ways to respond to that. And these people choose like panic and bargaining and attempts to, to get out. And it's not until... Uh, the old generation is completely gone and the new generation is alone with their thoughts and has decided to embrace a level of childlike calm and, and joy that they even remember that they have that code and the desire to have a moment. And she's like, you should do it. You know, who gives it like, we're probably not going to ever get out of here. You got a thing (laughs) from a friend you might as well do it. And so he did. And then it gave them the hint that they needed to escape. They went from like, look, we're going to die. Let's make a sandcastle. Oh, I should decode this thing. Like we should try to have the tiniest bit of fun to, oh, like there is a, there is a choice here. There is an option. And then again, cause, cause this is never going to be a movie where everyone just dies and no one knows what happened to them. They have to get out. But I think you've still thematically tied that victory to the larger point of, let us not become so wound up in trying to escape or put mm-hmm. off death that we forget to actually live. And I, and think, I think that that I, works. I think that yeah, works and fine I think enough. What, I, think, I think what all does very well is that, like, it, whether, very blatantly, it conveys that there is innate pain in loving someone. It will happen. It might not happen as graphically as it happens in this film. I should hope but, not. <laughs> but if you love someone, like you're going to go through pain or you're going to cause them pain because people die, people get old, and things happen that you can't stop. Heartbreak happens, pain happens, grief happens, death happens. And it, it does, and there's nothing we can do to stop that as much as we all wish we could. And whether that's like a father passing away in front of his kids or like someone watching their girlfriend die in front of them. Death happens and choosing to love someone to bring love into the world, to choose to embrace it, even though you're going to hurt because of it, even though in the case of like Vicky creeps, like it kills her practically when her, when her partner dies, like she can't, she can't cope with it. But in the moment before all the pain happens, there is beauty because they embrace each other. One of them can't hear in one ear. One of them can't see very well, but they're there together and they love each other and they let each other love each other before the pain like sweeps them away. And I think that if you look, view old 
through a purely machinations basis, you're not going to like it very much. And I understand, like, I don't see the movie like that. And I don't look at art like that. But I'm aware that people are different from me. And I can understand that Shyamalan's kind of, his loose interpretation of like logic or narrative structure in terms of like, this makes perfect sense can stretch people's patience. I understand that. I, but to me, I would much rather have that than, and have a movie that like cares about its characters and wants to explore these ideas through a genre concept without just coming across as just hollow exploitation. I would much rather have that than something that works so perfectly and you can think of all the logic and you understand exactly what um, the like the evil scientists are doing. You understand exactly the motivation and you don't care about any of it because the movie's boring and bad and has nothing to grasp onto except that. So that's why I like about old is that it shows the pain so rawly but refuses to ever just linger on it to the point of cruelty. I don't think it's a cruel movie, even though it's a horrifying one. And I think the distinction is because Shyamalan is continuously invested in the, the emotions of his characters. Even when the pace is more accelerated, like in the second act, you get those moments like Rufus Sewell with the talking about his mom. And you get those moments uh, with uh, Eliza Scanlon and Alex Wolf in the tent, where they are these little beautiful things that happen even built out of tragedy and out of suffering. And I don't know, like, I don't know, not to get too personal, but I've gone through a lot in the last year. I think all of us have, but like, I have specifically went through some real horrifying shit. And when I watched old, I felt like seen almost. I felt like I was dealing with it as the film was progressing. I cried during the movie old in a way I haven't cried in the movie for like two years. And it's like, <laughs> I think it's a really special movie because like, I don't know, like there are millions of like I, ways you could have taken this concept and ways you could have just leaned into like the body horror, like with like Abby Lee's like broken arms, that could have been the whole film, but instead he saves it for these brief little moments and lets the existential dilemma of what they're going through be the majority of the horror and the majority of the emotion. And I think yeah. that that is why it works for me so well. well and it's like- probably, it's probably my film of the year. If I'm being honest, the more I talk about it. I mean, like, what for me, a lot of it boils down to, you know, hate to bring it up again, but I have a daughter, so there's another movie that made me think about my life in relation to my child's. But like, you know, there's there's a there there is a kind of clarity in the way that this movie is is aging is done in this movie is like when they're making that sandcastle, they say like, you think everyone you know, maintains this level of, like, childish whatever, or is it just because we were literally children yesterday? But, like, mm-hmm. you know, I like like today in, in talking to the babysitter or when I went to go get a uh, pizza with my daughter at Blaze Pizza, and I was looking at the kids who are obviously college-age working behind there, and I'm like, yeah, there is an aspect of my personality that is still wrapped up in the same, like, petty complaints and and, like weird reptilian drives of them because yesterday I was them not literally metaphorically, but like I have been there. And so there that that's a part of my body that I can access. Like my daughter asked me to make a shark for her out of a model magic, which is a kind of modeling clay. And I, and I did it and I took like a super long time to do it because I'm not good, but I really wanted to make a good one. And it was like, yeah, I am yesterday. I was a child like there. I, I will always have those bits in me because I have had to travel through that. This movie obviously mm-hmm. 
you know, it's it's a matter of hours instead of actual years. But there is a truth to that idea. Well, that imagine I how fucked up. Imagine how fucked up these kids are, though, because while Shyamalan does go through great lengths to kind of give this kind of beautiful detail about, you know, their their brain kind of being able to hold more thoughts and more colors and all of this other stuff. Oh, they're still fucked. They don't even know how to drive. Like, just think about that. Yeah, they are still children. Like, this guy who's 50 is now six Still, I think like, right? it, it's so simple because like at the end, like he's a six year old and he goes up to the cop he met to solve everything because that's what he's, and, that's what he, right, he's yeah. he just hands him a book. He just hands he's, him a book. And he's like, you're a cop, right? You'll and solve like, it. You'll fix it. Like, yeah. yeah. And, and, like, <laughs> and luckily couple, he does. There's a couple, there's a couple things that, that there's a couple moments with, with the relationship to childhood that really interests me. Uh, one being the way that while like Trent was playing with his toys, he brought up like the condominium and like, I'm going to move out and live in a condominium. He says, he says a lot of stuff like that where it's, it's very obvious that he is picking up on other people's language, even if he doesn't necessarily know what that Mm. necessarily, what that means. And I'm I'm not going to denigrate a six year old, but mm. I don't know if he knows what that means, but it sounds like someone that is repeating something that he's heard from someone. He's, I think it's it, also I think, that he's coded a little bit as neurodivergent. A um, little bit, yes, I would agree. Uh, I I would agree as a neurodivergent person. I would agree. Yeah, um, I think so. I, there was a part uh, of me that was like, is 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 this neurodivergence, or is it a very specific kind of like a child who is so aware of conflict and what is needed to diffuse a situation mm-hmm. that they I, I, have like internal, coping mechanisms. Yeah, like they've internalized I, I, like phrases like you know when he says like i put together the thousand piece puzzle which is like something that's very like singular or very like special Mm -hmm. like it's just like oh his dad said that and it was like one of the good moments in their life so if he can keep saying it suddenly like maybe a bad one will turn into the good moment again i think super sad and another reason we empathize with them robin yeah well what i like about it is like (laughs) what i like about it is that like it already shows that even before like the aging happens his innocence is already dying because of his parents and it's not even necessarily their fault because they're people that are just trying to deal with it but what their what their efforts of trying to deal with it is affecting their children and it is affecting their paths and it is changing their perceptions of the world and their perceptions of relationships and they're almost powerless when you see gail garcia bernal's face when he sees his son say that word it's crushing like his eyes like become like they look so bleak. They look so horrified by the idea that he has taught his son this language by his arguments with his wife. It's really horrifying. And it's like, you can't really stop your actions and your pain from affecting the people you raise. And I think what another really interesting dynamic is the relationship with the kid at the resort, because the gesture that like sent that went from the ending being like a little clunky to like taking it over into, I'm really a fan of this is the way like the kid touches the older Trent. Like he sees him, he feels his face and he knows that it is his friend because there is that kind of intuitive sense of kids where you don't really think about logic. You get the core of someone. It doesn't, doesn't have to make sense that he's old now. You just know it's your friend. And he touches his face and he knows. And it's that little gesture, just stuff like that, which is why Shyamalan is such a strong filmmaker to me because he cares about those little gestures between people. Um, and I think that 
I think old is like a perfect spotlight of his particular strengths because people may disagree with this. I think Shyamalan is one of the finest directors of actors in the oh, world. Oh, Lord. Because no. I think, no, because when <laughs> no. you think, because um, I would like to, like Bruce Willis, his best performance to me is an Unbreakable. Um, I think he's, he's perfect. He's a great actor. Well, he's a, he is, I think he's a very good actor. Um, and like, I think he's amazing I, I and Unbreakable. Or I, I like, don't think Logan's Logan's point is that he's a great actor, though. I think, is that, I think like is, he gets the best out of Bruce Willis, like or like um, like James McAvoy's work in Split and Glass. I think yeah. is from, phenomenal. Or Anya Taylor Joy or Paul Giamatti, and I, I know people don't like Lady in the Water, but him in Lady in the Water, I think a lot of the detractors will even say Paul Giamatti's really good in this movie. Or Bryce Dallas Howard in the Village. Say, didn't he single-handedly like, make Bryce Dallas Howard happen? Yeah, pretty she much. She never right? happened, I mean, honey. She never happened. <laughs> but like, the thing is... is Jurassic the thing World is, would beg to And differ. it's like, you can say, like, a lot... But like, I think that he gets... He understands how to get fragility out of his performers. He understands it. Like, I don't... I've never mm-hmm. seen... I, I, love, I love Samuel Jackson deeply. And I think that he has never been as convincingly fragile as he is in Glass. Um, or I think that... I think he gets how to convey quietness and... The, the 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 silent suffering of people that are struggling for help he gets this through physical gestures like i think about bruce willis and robin white right in the doorway and unbreakable how there's so much between them and they leave so much of it unsaid and they just reach out to touch each other and he lets himself feel a little bit with her in a way he hasn't yet in the film and it's just such a crushing gesture. And I think the old is filled with those physical performances. And I think that Shyamalan does get the best out of his actors. I think Gail Garcia Bernal is Ooh, absolutely tremendous in this all. movie. I don't I, agree at all. Wait, I think on, wait. I love... Which, which part don't you agree with, Robin, specifically? Just curious. The, the, these are good actors, and they are not good in this movie. Oh, like, really? I That's... typically enjoy no. Vicky Creeps. I think Gail Garcia Bernal is a great actor. I think... Um, uh, I, well, I Rufus Sewell is fine in this. Thomas and McKenzie, <laughs> like these are people that I normally enjoy and know that they can do well. And they felt so off to me in this. And I was talking about this with my husband because I was like, maybe it was the dialogue, but it, it something just felt so unreal about the characters that they were portraying. And I it may have been just the dialogue because frankly, nobody is that defined by their career. And yet, it seemed to be that the only way that he could characterize any of these people were through their jobs. It was like, oh, I'm the therapist. Yeah. Less I'm going to be the therapist I mean, of the group. And and I'm a, I don't know what, like a museum well, worker. So well, like, I mean, like, like, like some fucking would, metaphor that's, that, about, but that's like, like but that's like a clear continuation of the theme of Trent because Trent sees adults through their jobs. Mm-hmm. And so that that's a clear extension of that to me. Is I that or is that it just makes... like laziness and bad dialogue I mean, and not like, knowing how to like create people in a I small like I think Shyamalan's clearly thought about this because like there are he continue, he ties up elements like that with like the decoding. Like we we can say that it's like blatant or but but like Shyamalan Shyamalan is not a filmmaker that accidentally stumbles onto things, you know? He he's a conscious filmmaker, he's an intelligent filmmaker, and I think he's clearly doing that on purpose. Well, I, I would, I mean, I understand just it like working, this movie. But... I just definitely don't think that a lot of these elements put together. Like, did I like the narrative? Yes. You know, I enjoyed how it progressed, but it didn't feel like it came together in any sort of well thought out way. Well, I think there's something to be said for the fact that like all these people have their jobs and are and are defined by their jobs. And and again, it is it is only when 
you get to the final two surviving children who are now in their 50s that they're able to conceptualize a way out by once again just kind of like abandoning themselves to freeform like, play like, like the, they're not they're not every every as you said every adult in this is like like i'm i'm an actuarial person like i do numbers and this i am i'm assessing the, risk and the other person is like i work in a museum i i mm-hmm. can do this and and the other yeah. guy's like i was on the swim team and i'm he, a nurse but like he, he, it's only after everyone who who allowed themselves to be pigeonholed and constrained by their formal job or education is gone that the children who have the openness of a i won't call it a tabula rasa but like a blank if open a hopeful you know anything is possible future are able to work outside of that and and figure out what's going on and, and it's like and like um like the guy who's on the swim team he drowns he dies because of his relation he believes that because of what he has done in his life and the things he has accomplished that he can do it again that he can use yes, his skills and he dies character like i'm not i'm not done i'm not done like i have like there's a there's a larger point it's like gail garcia bernal's entire role in the film like he is a he's a statistician he makes these insurance claims and there is nothing that he can do so as adults he is these adults have positioned themselves based off of their jobs because that happens in a lot of cases it does like i i've been around adult like i've been around adults my whole fucking life and a lot of them make life about their jobs they see the world through their jobs and i think there is a clear conscious choice from Shyamalan to incorporate their jobs and their roles into the narrative because they are powerless even with their expertise. Like um, Rufus Sewell's character struggles so much because he's the doctor. He's the chief, he's the chief of, of medicine. He has all these responsibilities. He cannot let himself be sick or be lesser. And that eats away at him. Mm-hmm. Like it's stuff like that. Like these jobs are clear to, clear, clear, clear to their characters. But in a very, I think in a very, very interesting way. And I don't think that that is their only emotional expression. I think that they are very well written and dynamic characters, and especially with their performances. Um, but I think that the job element is a big part, especially from how it pays off through the kids' perspective, and specifically because Trent is so obsessed with the idea of job as defining his idea of an actor. Yeah, because he he would go up to people and be like, "Hi, I'm tr- you know whatever. I'm Trent. I'm six years old. Like, who are you and what's your yeah. job?" And then they would say, and he'd be like, "All right, I know everything I need to know about you. Peace." And it's like, and it's like, yeah, it's like, and I think it's like another element. It's like, like I think a lot of people. Like get can like I, I've seen a lot of people that still don't understand like signs or like how like why would they go to a planet with all water when it's like the most obvious religious th- theme possible it is like blatantly said throughout the movie it is so clear it's like one of the most obvious like it's like like an old it's barely even a metaphor because it's so blatant that it kind of transcends the the balance of metaphor and like I feel like that's that's just what Shyamalan's like whole ethos is he's. I don't think he's particularly subtle with it. Um, I, I think that he he bombards you with it because it's a clear point he's making with his script. Because he's a smart filmmaker and he thinks about I, it. I, I think I think you have done enough uh, defending of. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> det- I, apo- yeah. I apologize if I've come across as harsh. I don't mean it. It's just <laughs> it's, I can it's positive. I, I can. The thing <laughs> is, I have opinions very strongly, and it's like a part of my condition is that like I just want to like. 
I want to express how I see it so clearly so that there's no misunderstanding of what I'm trying to construe, what I'm trying to communicate. And that sometimes means I come across as a little bit aggressive. So I, I apologize like is, if I've come across as insensitive or No, that's that's like a huge it, I I feel like that's oh, you know, this is going to be me putting myself in blood. I feel like that's a hugely human thing is the desire to be firmly understood and not misrepresented especially by your own mm-hmm. words. So no, I, that makes a lot of sense to me. One thing about Jaren, so Ken Leong's character that you mentioned that you felt that he, his background was the reason that he wanted to swim out. And I would argue that he doesn't exactly announce that he used to be on the swim team. He is not the first one that raises his hand to go do this. He actually is asking anybody else that wants to do this, right? And I think the only reason that he decides to go for it is not hubris in that he thinks he can do it. It's hubris in that he thinks he's the only person that's going to be able to get this done if Mm -hmm. anyone is going to be able to get this done. And he's seeing that he's in a tightening grip of this island that's just not going to let them go. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that's that's why he he volunteers. It's not it's Mm -hmm. not because it's his background. He's like, Mm -hmm. fuck, if anybody can do this, I guess I will volunteer myself. Mm -hmm. Like I at least have some kind of background. Right. Right. Um, In terms of in terms of last best hopes, I'm the best, I guess. Yeah, I I think and I think that. Oh, sorry. Well, the the other thing that I think I, I was actually surprised by most in this film was that it does not play around with the fact that we see some kind of reflection up on top of the mountainous range or I don't know what you want to call this on, on top of these cliffs that we see this reflection and at various points, Shyamalan has just given up the ghost that there's even somebody like actually observing them. He shows, he shows these shots and like they're in like a, like a purple shirt at some point. And you're Mm like, that's a fucking person up there like clearly looking down at them and it's it's so interesting to me that in a lot of ways he seems to be fighting back against his own kind of uh i guess reputation that there's going to be a twist right because he's like no I'm going to yeah. tell you there are people observing these people. Like, this is clearly That's an ex- still a, a twist. Science. It's like, not a you, twist if no, you see them because immediately. because there's a reason why this is all happening. Yeah, this but, was okay, just a but random no, uh, thing that was going on. Then Robin, I no have twist. to say, it's not a twist because you, again, the, the hotel manager... The way that they he packs them like seven billion lunches, like it's not a twist. It's so obvious. It's a twist that it's a fucking pharmaceutical company. I don't think that's a twist though. Even you earlier said that it's, it's a just, reveal. It's I'm not, not saying it's it, not like sh- okay, whatever. Twist reveal. There is something that you know you're going to learn at the end that's going to recontextualize. I don't think the it story. recontextualizes anything because it all those people no, are, are still it dead. Definitely like, does. No, because they're still dead. They're dead. Like that's it. Yeah, like, they're well, dead. The, not the way hold negligence. On, hold on. Well, hold, no, hold, on, hold say, on. We 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 can't we can't argue and say no to someone else's opinion. Like that's that's just not I, okay. I think that <laughs> is it is it is misrepresenting the intent of the movie in giving you that answer to say that it's trying to recontextualize because it doesn't recontextualize 
all these people died for what? Yeah, for you, it, this. It, it, it's it was never going to be for nothing. So now you know what it's for, but that doesn't change the manner or the emotional yes, effect of the death. Oh no, my it god, doesn't. yes, it does. Because now you're like, oh, they were fucking guinea pigs all along. But like, that doesn't matter. If they're being observed, you know it's for a reason, right? So, like, it doesn't, like, if even if it was for, like, appeasing some sort of sea god, I just went the complete opposite direction of science and research. Okay, <laughs> cabin cabin in the woods. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, the, the, the thing that matters is that, again, we kind of um, said this earlier, like, it's, it's not like, oh, well, that makes sense, and now everything, it, it like, it works. It's like, no, now we have the I, reason, and the only thing that that does is set us up to be able to take these people down for some reason. Like, okay. but it, it's, I don't think it's, I don't think it's Shyamalan being like, isn't this clever, this reason why? It's like, no, oh my it God, doesn't it really. million percent the, uh, is. Uh, I don't. Robin, well, Robin, uh, I, have you seen The Cabin in the Woods? I just want to ask because yeah. I would like to, do you think that the, the Sigourney Weaver element is a twist in The Cabin in the Woods? I don't even remember her in the movie. Oh, she's like okay, the, so the like, person who comes in. It's oh, like no, it's a reveal. It's, the cabin in the woods. So spoilers <laughs> for the cabin in the woods. It's like yeah. the reveal is like the facility is like designed for, like for the devil, basically. Yes, yes, I remember that. I just don't remember so, her in it. So like, would even though the facility is clearly it's clearly for something, would you consider the element of the devil to be a twist? Or just yes, an 1, element. Okay. okay, so yeah. that I think that's the concrete element of where we disagree on on the on the on the nature of twist because you view a twist as a different thing than say me and Brian do. And that's completely fine. It's just I think that's where the source of like the disagreement over the particulars of the reveal comes. Right. Because I, like I wouldn't consider the cabin in the woods thing a twist because it's just it's just extra explanation to the already existing machinations in my interpretation. Right. Because in the cat like if if you were to compare like Cabin in the Woods to uh, the village, right? Like they both, they, they're kind of similar. You know, you have people mm-hmm. who've entered into a situation or exist in a situation unaware of the greater reality over top of that situation. Now in Cabin in the Woods, we as the viewer are fully aware from the beginning that there is a facility that is engineering this whole situation. Mm-hmm. So when we find out the purpose behind that facility, it's a reveal it is not a twist. It doesn't fundamentally alter anything that's come before. It just gives us the reason why all that stuff happened. In 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 the village, I am sorry to laugh. Um, it totally changes everything because we didn't know from the beginning, and learning about it suddenly makes everything that has happened either ridiculous or or super. I don't I don't even know what the good version of that would be. But like it's it 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 has thrown into doubt every aspect of the reality that we watched. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the cabin in the woods, you you've been on board and you understand the reality the whole time. There's, there's multiples in, there's multiples in the village too, because we also learned that the monster isn't real. Well, right? yeah, God, so, like the so, village so is, yeah, is they just, drop two. The, no. So the village is nuts because you first learn that the monster isn't real, right? Then you learn or you you're in the woods and you think that the monster is real because oh my god there's a monster yes. and then you you twist it up again because that monster wasn't a monster at all it was uh, Adrian mm-hmm. Brody's offensive character then mm-hmm. you get the next twist which is that it's actually a contemporary movie and these people are basically larping like that's mm-hmm. like four twists and i'm sure i'm missing one 
Oh, for sure. Like yeah. that's that's mm-hmm. like that's that's a bananas that that thinking back on that movie sometimes well, I'm just like it's I, incredible I'm, that that great I mean I mean but Love part of it part of it is is also like the I think it isn't isn't this another one of those films that ties into 9/11? Isn't isn't that part of the reason why they even started the village in the village? No, no, because they were kids I, I that were was. born in that village who were no, definitely no, no. too old to be nine eleven babies or pre nine post post nine eleven babies. Like, okay, yeah, like, I, I think I think maybe it was it was like a, a school shooting or no, something it was, like that. There was, there was some like massive people. No, no, it was all of those people. We're talking about the village now. All of those people had some great violent trauma that made them yeah. want to forsake okay. the modern world, but, thinking that they could get. Rid I was of talking life. about the main family, though. All right. No, because okay. it was it was like a murder. Like they, they each have a box that has their own mm-hmm. individual specific trauma in it. Mm hmm. Yeah, and, okay, and Hamilton. Okay, Hamilton. Would we? Would we? Okay. So, like, but in so, terms of Shyamalan, yeah. right? The visit, I would say, does not have a twist. I would say that there is not a twist. No spoilers for the visit. I still need to see that. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. All right. But I, w- I would assume that when you, I, I do not think the visit has a twist. I think, and I feel okay, like no, some I people would actually. I think the visit I, does have a twist. I, I think that, but we can't talk about it because Bill hasn't seen I, the movie yet. Yeah, <laughs> we will not Robin, talk about it. But Robin, like, I that's assume- my. That, well, I want to that's know, Robin, opinion. I assume you think The Visit has a twist, right? I've never seen it. Okay. All right. Well, that's unfortunate. Well, uh, me and Brian will just disagree with each other through our thoughts. We yes. will argue <laughs> inside our own brains. Um, I mean, does it matter if it's a twist or not? Only because... I, I think it does, he, but I would... Shyamalan clearly, you know, whether you call it a gimmick or whatever, he has the, uh, he has the devices that he uses. And I think just because... He includes levels of foreshadowing in the movie. Doesn't mean that the final reveal isn't really a twist. Like, do you know that they're being observed in some sort of like fishbowl setting? Yes. Did they make cracks about pharmaceuticals and all that stuff at the beginning? Yes. Do they talk all throughout the movie about how they all have health conditions? Yes. It doesn't mean that it doesn't recontextualize the story when you see the system that they are inside. Like when you see it, it's almost like the camera is zooming out and you are suddenly realizing that the world is completely different than how they anticipated it or how we, or how we were brought into this resort environment. I can, I can see your point when you put it like that. But at the same time, I feel like for me, the difference is that it didn't make me fundamentally reappraise any of the, any of what had happened before. Like, it was like, Oh, isn't that interesting? How much more there is. In fact, this is what I was talking about when I was like, even after seeing this movie, I still want to learn more. Like they talk about like the the first expedition. And I'm like, ooh, what happened there? Like I'm I'm I'm, actually, I'm now just like I'm curious about like what the lore and history the cinematic of this place universe. Is. Yeah, uh, give me the old cinematic universe. Uh, give me old Ur and I, then oldest. Like I'm totally we're down. We're young for that. <laughs> when they first <laughs> discovered this place. I mean, yeah, that's I, the prequel. What kind of um got me about this movie i guess is like i didn't understand how the pharma company disappears these people completely like if your brother went to a resort and never came back wouldn't you be like what the fuck (laughs) well they could probably claim that they never showed up you know i mean like there's it's It's, it just seems it's like, like this happened seventy some odd times and nobody it, has figured this out. Well, I mean, like they 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 do they do explain 
And you can say like, well, this is not detailed enough, but the Shyamalan does include like they have the plane that picks them up privately, drops them off privately. They have their passports secure, yeah. and it's not like a thing that is like largely communicated with everyone around them. Like it's it's perfectly natural in some cases to like just to be like, oh well, these people have went missing because we have all their things and we've thought about this. But like, yes, I can understand why it can still be seen as a stretch of logic. I think like the main thing is that I don't think I, I can understand. I, I, I've i said this before, but like, I just don't think Shyamalan cares. And that means I don't really care. Um, and it is really that simple to me is that I don't think it matters to the movie's success or detriment, whether or not it makes perfect sense that all the people go missing. Well, I'm I just think that that's a thing that it's just, it's just, and I can understand if it's a problem. I understand that it is a problem in your perception of the ending. And I understand. Um, but I, I think that, I don't know. I've, I've me, said all my points, basically. For me, there's an awareness that uh, a lot of people go missing every year from cruise ships, and we just choose as a society not to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of me was like, "Oh yeah, no that that makes sense." Like, what? First of all, I didn't know that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's my point, Robin. <laughs> yeah, that's not, not me choosing to talk about it. That's me. Like that. That's just bad journalism. <laughs> No, I mean it's it's funny actually that that's a big part of um the succession storyline in, in mm-hmm. the, you know that there's like this thing about cruise ships where it's like if a person goes missing or dies they go to like a friendly port where they can just get the cops mm-hmm. to write it up as whatever and like that's mm-hmm. the reason that all these cruise ships are like chartered out of weird countries that they've never actually been to because then that puts them under the law of that country mm-hmm. that is usually like very 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 indebted to the cruise companies. This is to- no, this uh, is no, totally a no, real thing. They make fun of it is, on Mad Men too. With the this, 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 is, yeah. this is also one of the reasons why uh, during the COVID crisis, the uh, cruise ships that had COVID outbreaks, um, you know, during the Trump administration, which of course was a fucking nightmare. But uh, he did not allow them to dock because they had no rights to actually dock because they were not a u.s uh a u.s boat and so they had no right to actually be on u.s shores and and it got into this weird legal mores where it was like oh fuck the thing that y'all were doing to basically get around and skirt around a lot of u.s coast guard rules and regulations now is biting you in the ass because you had a covid outbreak and you can't dock and so so you're just sitting offshore (laughs) just to prove that i'm not making this up out of some deranged part of my brain there if you google cruise ship disappearances you can find a lot of stuff about this but so here's an abc news article you know it's not the daily tattler or whatever this is a real ass news source (laughs) and its title is vanished at sea baffling cruise ship missing persons cases it's from january 17th of 2012 and it says in the last two years 41 people went overboard or went missing on cruise ships according to cruisejunkie.com a cruise watchdog site the cruise industry reported that nearly 15 million passengers reported on cruise ships in 2010 alone so that's the thing if you've got millions of people going to resorts and stuff and every once in a while, like four or five people go missing and just don't show you know, up to the boat. 
Right. You know, it's just like, all right, well, they're gone and I don't know what to do about it. And so like this place has gone the extra mile of like picking people up, flying them on a private airplane. She says creeps. Creep says that she won a sweepstakes. Yeah. So it presumably no money has exchanged hands. Exactly. Right. These which people which are is evil geniuses. Which is which is a fucking bananas that you would even go on like an all expit like okay Wait nobody wins How like a trip you? like that. <laughs> Hold on. It said she went won a sweepstakes, but then doesn't she say, "Can you believe I found this online?" Like well, that's, what? it's one that's or the other. No, because no, I, I, they, she actually does say. They're like, I got it. At, I saw this at the pharmaceuticals and then I looked it up online afterwards. Like she does say that. Right. So it's it was, both. it like, was like a survey on her receipt and then she found it online. She followed it up and then she it. went and yeah. then they arranged it all for and her. Then they ra- and then they ran a sweepstakes. So yeah. What I also didn't understand about that line is literally how else do you find a resort like at this day and age like most people don't <laughs> go through travel agencies like we all find this shit online i would so say like just, tv maybe like a yeah like sans through or a something. friend right yeah, yeah or like you know like watches people, tv you, anymore like live tv <laughs> watches like I, a lot I don't of know. these people are like in their 40s right but like maybe, I, I, so. like i, don't I just know. like the the thing is is with shaman and with uh, with twists is that I think that it was definitely, I feel like it's been blown out of proportion and has been negatively defining to his career when it is clearly such a small aspect of his overall filmmaking style, his writing style, and his like his genuinely impressive taste. Because like when you look at this movie, and regardless of like how you feel about some of the writing, this is a beautiful looking movie. This is a well-directed movie. This is a well-edited movie. Like it looks fantastic. It incorporates the beach location so effectively. Some of the use of handheld camera work is genuinely shuddering, in my opinion. I think it is such a formally impressive film. And I think that it not not to imply that you're doing this wrong, because I understand it's a specific issue with the the ending, but I think that it's I, I just I wish that the discussion around Shyamalan wasn't just about like how many reveals he does or how his narratives always kind of function as like this like mystery box style thing. I wish that we could just, you know, look at his his movies for what they are, which is like very multifaceted emotional works of art. And whether or not you have to engage with them in the way that I do is like it's completely irrelevant. You don't have to do that. You can you are you have every right to the opinion that you hold, even if I disagree with it. But I would just, I would just like to, to stress that if there are people listening who have just thought about Shyamalan as like the guy who does twists, I would like urge you to reconsider and maybe watch some of those movies with the twists because I think, especially something like The Sixth Sense, that is something that is so recontextualized to the point where the twist barely matters by the time it, re- it gets revealed because you're so invested in the emotions, and that's why I feel about Shyamalan and how he uses twists. They either don't matter. To, to what the emotions are feeling or they just amplify them or contextualize mm-hmm. them. I, I, I do not think of him as like a, a filmmaker that completely shifts everything all the time. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's my perception of old. I, that, that's, that's, that's my perception of like the kind of status around his, his so-called love for the twist. Also, just in, in, in line with what, uh, Robin, you were saying, I, am I the only person who still feels like if I find something online, I inherently don't trust it? Yes. Yeah. You're old. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> wow. I, I, look, 
this is this is gonna make you feel but i was born 2001 so i've only known the internet like <laughs> i so, so like, here so i was born in 87 i feel like my family was one of the first that i know that was online because I, I think we were online before like we were like must have been like right when it happened like we had a computer i remember going right on and when being, it happened like <laughs> right when right when consumer right when easy, gore easily, created it yes exactly right when out <laughs> no i'm talking about like you know when we went from like weird interconnected sort of CompuServe, whatever to like mm-hmm. aol you know netscape yes. like suddenly the web browser was a thing you know like that moment when it really became accessible at a consumer level which, and, which um, was still fucking bullshit because it it just didn't do anything <laughs> right, there was very little to do uh, yes you know, and you know it's funny you know it's like it, it wasn't even like i needed it for the encyclopedia because i had like 16 cds of encarta that mm-hmm. i could put in my mm-hmm. computer but so yes i um so i have been online for quite a while so i don't ever feel like i'm i'm not you know i'm not like 60 years old i'm not like oh i was 30 and suddenly yeah, all the you're, kids were you're digital native another. right but the thing is i still had a learning curve and also it took a while for the internet to become what we know it as now like one of my favorite mm-hmm. websites Used to be some weird Jurassic Park site where I could just click to learn about dinosaurs, and now it's like, oh, you know, there's an app that'll that'll show you what a desk looks like in your room and let you talk to someone who lives in Kenya and do all this other crazy shit. Like that level of immediate. Like I remember having to download a video to watch it if it was thirty seconds long, like onto my computer. I remember having to buy the video to put in the video cassette tape player. Yeah, it was uh, nuts. I do miss uh, the the rewind machine though, when you would just push it down and it would go Guys, you all sound real old right now. I hope you know this. <laughs> Super old. You're, you're, you're aging rapidly on a beach? Like <laughs> This is also um, another movie that proves why beaches are terrible and I, I don't know why we go to them. I agree I, with you on that. Like, How many oh, drownings can you okay, put in one movie? All right. Okay, guys, would you say that you don't like sand because it's coarse and rough and it gets everywhere would you say that <laughs> yeah i pretty much don't like that. I, I remember okay, so, a bunch of anakins yeah um just 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 to make you all feel old again just because i'm having fun yeah uh, do, do you all remember the remember the 2009 film avatar <laughs> you're, you're, I how, how old were how old were all of you when that movie college came out? i was Jeez, just you out were of seven college. <laughs> I, I was kid. i was i was a little baby boy I was a child. I was like seven or eight years old when that movie came out. Yeah, and you're trying to make uh, us feel bad, but it just tells yeah. me the frame of reference is so limited. <laughs> well, well, I, well, that's, you know what? That's a really good callback. That's a really good comeback. You know, I have to respect you for that one. That's Thank a great, you. that's a great insult. <laughs> All you're doing is making me feel superior because you don't know shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like, you, like, I'm hired by this website. Like, this website pays hey, look, me money. Man, I don't so, what do you decisions. guys know? <laughs> well, I get paid money for writing. <laughs> I don't really like you know. I don't write a lot. In fact, what's we also interesting, have jobs. Yeah, I, mean, I got real. Like, like I said, I've, I'm a man with a real ass job. Hey, what's okay, hey, 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 guys, hey guys. What was the thing earlier about how adults don't just define their lives by their real life jobs? Okay, here's no, the. I don't. But, but I, I was about to say when people ask me what I do, I'm like, you don't, you don't, you don't give a shit, and you also won't give a shit if I tell you. It's not also, like I'm going to say like something. Three jobs, Brian. That's true. I won't say something mind blowing. Like you ask someone, think, what's your job, and they're like, I'm actually like the venomous reptile handler at the national zoo you'd be like oh shit 
Super glad I, I asked that question. See, Tell me everything. I'm like, like, I'm a technical editor working on government contracts. And people are like, okay. And I'm I, like, I also run a distillery. And suddenly they're like, hey, party. That's like, I don't know. Like you've, you helped, like you created, you helped create like a major film website and you brew beer for a living. No, I like, distill whiskey, but yes. Oh, you brew, you, you distill whiskey for a living? Like, like these are oh, things that gin. like, I, like these are not too, like, but you know. These I are like whiskey. this is not like an uncool thing to have in your life as your career. Like no. what do I what what do I tell people? I'm a broke college student that writes about like Lars von Trier movie for like fifteen pounds. <laughs> yeah, but like, if you've got like a lot of hair and you smoke cigarettes, that's like the coolest thing ever. Well, I mean, I do like just sit around like <laughs> film festivals, just like chilling. Um, Actually, but, like, I don't know. Like, I I think that like I don't know like. I, I I am I like knowing what people do for a living because I think it does show some element of their character, whether or not right, it's not like because it. no, not all of it clearly, but like I think it is like whether or not like I think either it defines what you're interested in because you chose to do this, or it has shaped your the way your mind operates because of how much time you've spent doing it. Yeah, like 100%. it does does shift you and it does affect your character because like if you do like forty hour work weeks for things for like fifteen years, it's gonna affect your life outside of it. I actually, and I think that it is interesting to know about it. So I, I, I am very grateful to learn about your distilling ways, Brian. And just just talking about feeling old, like I when I was in college, I worked at a lot of restaurants, right? And like the universal experience of working in a restaurant is everyone smokes. Because that's how you get an extra break on your shift. So you go out back with like three of your friends. You know, you, you just dropped your entrees, right? So the people don't want to see you. You've done your first checkup where you're like, is everything good? And they're like, oh, it's perfect. Great. You can disappear for five minutes. You go into the back and you chain smoke. Like two cigarettes in five minutes. It's terrible. It's awful. So this weekend I went to an event at a local restaurant near the college that I live near. And I was doing a thing for the distillery. I was manning a booth and I was watching the college students who work at this restaurant and they were all vaping. <laughs> and I felt it. it's like it. I just weird because I'm like, you know, when I was a kid, you used to have they were leaves uh, that you'd roll up in paper and you'd light it on fire. And you kids <laughs> with your digital like, heating you elements and your you juices like 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 old people vape, too. Like, oh, like there were definitely people, old people vaping too, like, but it was just like this is a cultural like, shift that I am not prepared for. Also, like it, it it seems to me that it would take out a lot of the social aspect of smoking because you don't go up to someone and be like, you can't anymore. Be like, you got a light, or like, hey, can I bum one? Because you're not going to bum someone's vape. You're not going to go up to someone and be like, do you have like an extra coil? It's weird that this you something- remember a life where you socialized through smoking because I mean I, I'm your age, but that is not. If I knew somebody who smoked, we were all just like, ew, that's a weird. Oh, I, yeah, I, no, I was friends with terrible too. people, terrible yeah, I, class people. I uh, love you guys. I, I'm one of those. I'm one of those people that's like, if I see someone smoking, like I hold my breath so I don't have to smell it because I hate the smell. So yeah, much. it's just like, I don't know. It's it's, nasty, I feel like man. you're part of that old school life that was not that present when where I was going to school. That's possible. I mean, but like that was the funny thing is I go to a party and then like in an hour, I'd be like. That's Kevin, that's Lacey, that's Marcus, I that's think, other Marcus. And people be like, how do you know each other? It's like, we were all outside smoking. We spent like 30 minutes chain smoking I, and talking like, to each other. I think, other. like, I remember my experience, like, because I have never smoked, but, like, there were people at, like, my high school that was, like, the path to, like, cool 
sadness was mm-hmm. like through smoking. But like the thing about it, and it was so like inherently sad, is that everyone thought they were fucking losers. Like everyone that weren't there thought they were losers. And it was like this thing of we're doing this to try and fit in and to be cool. But they didn't realize that it just made everyone think right, that they, they were, were dumb. like three years too late. Like you're you're just out here like killing your lungs and like skipping <laughs> class to smoke with a bunch of kids that don't care about you and that no one else cares about. Yeah. And there was just that kind of inherent melancholy of walking past them and knowing that they're the only people that would ever like truly like think of each other as cool, even though their relationships were so and like because like I knew people that were part of it. Those things that they those friendship groups did not last. They split up immediately. And it was just this kind of they like, only had that one thing in sad. common. Yeah, I've like actually, they, the only I've maintained a lot of into my adulthood relationships with people that I used to smoke with. And the funny thing is, like, there is the point where it's like did you quit? Have you finally quit? It's like, yeah, I did. It's like, all right, good for you, buddy. Mm. We're like, still that, like, so like, do you have common interests outside of the fact that you used to smoke together? Well, okay, so you that's quit? the, you, it has to be, you know, you, you start off with like, hey, do you got a light or can I bum one? Or like, do you mind if I, and it's like, yeah, yeah, we're hanging out. Like if I didn't have a common interest with them, even if we were smokers, like there would be times when I'd be outside and I'd be like, God, just make it so that Ilker doesn't have to fucking smoke at the same time that yeah. I do. Because I need this nicotine, this, but I do not need to hear about Magic the Gathering. You so know, this is this is kind of reminding me, and I don't know if everyone here has seen the Dan Salat film Fourteen, but it kind of reminds me. Your story just kind of mm-hmm. reminds me of that movie where it's like you pop up with people that you used to have, like you thought you had so many common interests, and then as you get older, you realize you only had like a couple of things in common. And then you just stop talking and then one of them just then you just lose contact and it's too late to know if you had like a relationship with them that was outside of those those interests that faded. Oh, yeah. I mean, 100%. that's life. <laughs> I mean, one yeah. of those people in my life, I won't I won't say her name, but like I knew her from a restaurant that I worked at. Our, our relationship started just because we smoked and then we realized that like cigarettes and then we realized that we love to get drunk. So we started doing that. We had nothing in common. We should not have been friends. Like two years later, we had basically stopped talking to each other. And then last year she was murdered. And I found that out. And I had this like bottom dropping out, like ravaged Mm -hmm. feeling. Because I was like for two years at like the tail end of college and into my like quote unquote adult life. This person was a huge part of my life. Mm -hmm. And I... I, I don't know why I feel sad because they are a stranger now, but like this is a this is a person who is huge to me who is now it's gone. Like, it's and like I was thinking, just like this is crazy. Like this it's is like thinking insane. of like of like an ex you haven't spoken to in such a long time suddenly like disappearing completely. Yeah. Like you you love this person once and so now that they're gone forever, it feels like there's a hole in you. Even though the person that you loved had been gone for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. it's still that kind of emptiness that kind of fills your soul um, and that's getting older and that's and that's you know what it's like that's the thing is like the thing about old and it's not directly about these things but it makes you think about these things or it makes me think about these things right it like look at the about... conversation that we have gotten into like, based on this m night Shyamalan film about a beach that makes you old like, that's the thing is like i don't know like there are already people in my life that i had i have known and I know that I will never see them again or I will never have a relationship with them in the way that I used to have with them. And there is not enough time 
to reconcile with all those relationships or try and update them or make myself feel better about how I closed off everything. There just isn't enough time. And there's other priorities in life. And then one day you wake up and you're older and you're sadder and you're tired and more tired and someone else is gone. And they couldn't have meant everything to you like in this, or they could have been someone you knew for one day once and you had a little bit of a connection with, and then they're gone and it still feels sad. And I don't know, like old captures the, the balance of like that feeling fucking sucks, but also when that happens, and I don't know if this is common for everyone, but whenever you're reminded of like mortality, you cling on to the people that you are close with, you know, like yeah, I, mean, I, like I have always, like I, I've went through pretty bad grief. So not to get into it, but like my partner had COVID and has not come home and I'll be enough of it. I don't need to get into it. It's fine. Well, it's not fine, but that's what happened. And like, I, when I, I watched, a, I had a friend who, we should, you know, we shouldn't have been friends. We had nothing in common. Uh, he was a nightmare to be around. Mm-hmm. He, he, if anyone was ever going to get me killed in a bar fight, it was this guy. Mm-hmm. And I could have said that back in middle school and mm-hmm. it would probably still have been true. Like this guy in middle school could have somehow gotten me killed in a bar fight. And we, we were only friends because we were, had a mutual friend who was each of our like best friends. And that mutual friend commits suicide and we all drift apart, but it would be like twice a year on his birthday and on his death day, we would like move back into each other's orbit. And it it really only finally stopped like, I guess around the time that my daughter was born, because I like finally had an excuse to like really shape up and mm-hmm. stop being a living nightmare. I think, but like it yeah. was that kind of thing where it's like we would just kind of stare at each other and be like, we have nothing in common. We shouldn't be friends. The one thing that binds us is this weird void that was created in our life that is like a black hole that sometimes gets stronger and mm-hmm. pulls us back into its accretion disk to smear us emotionally across the universe. I think the thing, the thing about the thing about my circumstance is that like I loved this person and then one day they were gone and there was nothing I could do and I have to live with it forever. And that is what it is, is that I am young but I have already felt that pain and mm-hmm. that pain doesn't go places. It doesn't leave you. Even though I'm moving on, I'm building my life. I'm keeping going. It doesn't leave. It won't leave. And it shouldn't because it's something that, that matters. But then I watched old and it made me think, yeah, I have that and it will fucking suck forever. But there are people in my life that I love and they love me and I will cling on to them. Even though the older I get, the more of them will go. And the more people that I kind of knew once that will go and I will feel bad about. But I think with every subsequent loss, every subsequent terrible thing that happens to you, if you can just keep going, keep get through the worst of it, keep going, stand, stand up and push forward and let yourself hurt and grieve and cry. When you get through it, there are people there that love you and you will have that love, even if there are more pain to come. And that to me encapsulates what old represents. It isn't about like logic because I don't think what it, what it is to me is it gets something primal about the way we grieve, the way we look at grief, grief and the way we communicate with each other when all we have to go off of is pain. Well, I mean, Can we make that, something more of that? There's the saying time heals all wounds. And in this movie, that's like literally true. Like you can't cut someone 
and then because then they just automatically heal, but they get a scar. So like, mm-hmm. yeah, time heals the wounds, but the scars linger. Yeah, like that's 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 really again, it's hard to call it a metaphor. He's he's not he's not subtle. Just, yeah, he's not a subtle filmmaker, and I can get why that doesn't always work for people. Yeah. But I don't know. It's like the thing is about it is about old is that it is I I do not I am not an objective film critic or one a, a film tr- critic that approaches things based off of every element of a production. I focus on the things that I gravitate towards and that interest me because I think that makes me a better writer and a better thinker and it makes me have fun with my job. And when I look at old and I think of old, I went into it with my heart open and I felt it. And if people go into old with more of a, you know, like a restrictive or like a a balanced mindset, they might not appreciate what I appreciate from it. And that's completely understandable because, you know, we all, we all cling on to different things in art. But if you, if you've heard, if if for some reason you've heard this entire episode, you (laughs) haven't seen old and you kind of like, you feel like you see art in the way more closely to I do. I feel like old could really resonate with you because I think there is something there that speaks to a certain kind of film viewer that it just like, that's the thing about Shyamalan is that like, he is beloved by a certain sect of film watchers, even with all of the things that all the like controversial or badly reviewed movies he's made. There is like a sect of people that love him so much, so wholeheartedly. And I'm one of them. And I think the old will offer a lot to you. If that is something that is, that's a way you see the world. If you believe, and this is like fucking, so it makes it sounds corny night, but if you genuinely think that like a movie can like do good in the world and can make people care and make people feel about themselves and feel healing, then I think old might give you something. And if you think that it's just like a dumb movie, that's also completely fine. But I hope <laughs> that people have fun with the film. Because I think it is is chilling and it's well structured and it's and it's funny at times. It is funny. Like there's there's I think Shyamalan is funny on purpose a lot of the time. Um, yeah, he can be corny and, like in a dad joke kind of way, but he he's going for it. My also my favorite part of every podcast is when like you you realize that you're two hours in, you've been in spoilers for like an hour and thirty minutes, and you're still trying to like convince someone to see the movie, and you're like, God, why are you even here if that's the case? Well, I mean, because like, like, that happens people, to me all the time. It's like, like I realize people, that I'm talking to people as though I'm trying to talk them into seeing it. Well, well, the it. thing is, is that I you assume you most... hate a movie, Brian. Usually oh. you're like, don't see this movie. Like, oh, I'm yeah. assuming. Well, like, you, okay, so I'll say during the Terrence Malick podcasts, because <laughs> that those are the ones where I'm like, oh my they're... God, you're sick. Uh, wait, are you shooting on Terrence Malick? No, I love Terrence Malick. Oh, oh thank God. God. Clearly, okay, you've never friends. listened to this podcast before if you have to ask that I question. Don't, so, 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 for the fun, I don't listen to podcasts. I and just yet, appear on you're them. You're on one. That, that's, that's yeah. Fine. That's a good I just life turn choice. Up. In all honesty, I just like I like I like talking, but I have a very bad attention span when it comes to listening, which I think is evident by the way I performed on this <laughs> podcast. Nah, you've been great. <laughs> uh, but I'm very grateful to be on, and I will listen to this episode just so I can point out, man, I fucking killed that, or man, I really fucked that one up. <laughs> You're going to be like, man, um, I definitely made my point about what higher education levels there are between the many different I definitely, I definitely bummed everyone out for like five minutes. That's <laughs> right. That's usually my job. So I'm just excited that you did it this time. I, every, time I, every time I come on the film stage, because like, I went on intermission 
and talked about Mary the day my friend died. And so I made that about grief. And then like someone else I know has died. So I'm making this about it. So, again, so, like, so stop inviting me on shows. I w- again, though, they let me host this show. And I would say 75% of the episodes, I somehow am able to slip in the many, many people I know who've died. So you're in good company. Okay. But, but Brian, I have to ask you a question. Do you have a daughter? That's my question. I do. Have I not talked about? Oh, she's great. Let me tell what's a story her, about what's her name. Her. What's her name, Brian? What's her, name, her daughter's her name? Cora. Oh, that's a beautiful name. I know it's great. It's a great name. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will say. Uh, All right, we got to Yeah, I was about to say we got it. We got to wrap up. We have beaten the runtime of the movie, so I'm super excited about that. That's what I love. But we gotta we gotta get going because it's 10:30 here, and it's like what is it? It's like 3:30 there. Yeah, it's 3:22. You got real close. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, I rounded. Um so yeah. we got to we got to we got to rock and roll. We but, did uh, start two and a half hours ago. Yes, that's Doesn't right. Feel like it. Yeah, we had to wait for Bill. Um <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh so this is Poor been, Bill who barely said anything. <laughs> I've Bill said more I'm than good. you did. I'm good. <laughs> okay. I'm good. Anyway, yeah, me and uh me and Logan really kind of monopolize this but i don't feel bad about it yeah i feel um, bad but also you invited me on so <laughs> sorry <laughs> no i mean the the anyone who has ever done a podcast knows the fear of inviting a guest on and then being like mm, i don't know if they've spoken in the last 20 minutes maybe i should like, oh that's to not them. a problem with me i talk no, too much <laughs> absolutely not all right so anyway uh everybody thank you for joining us i hope you've enjoyed listening to old uh again can't imagine that anyone who hasn't seen it is still listening but uh, obviously, we have strong feelings about it, and you should check it out to figure out how you feel about it. As for us, um, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show. Don't forget to give us a comment on iTunes. Don't forget to become a Patreon member and supporter by going to patreon.com slash Show to give us your money. And uh, Robin, what are we talking about next week? The Green Knight. Aw, oh, yeah. Aw, oh, yeah. I am so fucking amped for that. It looks yeah. good. I'm, I, um, I'm fucking jazz. I have go. no idea about anything about the mythology that, of this. Dude, I watched the trailer I'm and that, I still have no idea. Hey, what the fuck that it's movie about. got pulled. That movie got pulled from UK release this I week. I saw Woo! that, dude. That's never gonna see it unless someone gives me a screener, which is which not gonna happen. Crazy, because it's like you know, it's the it's the the round table. I, I will <laughs> I will go I will go see the film if you let me. A twenty four. But no, you want to be an asshole to the United Kingdom, which is probably fair. But also, I don't appreciate it. I was about to say, um, the UK has given a lot of terrible things to the world. So I you, mean, so is America. Yeah, but like, we're, you okay, don't, but you don't we're one of the things that this. the UK gave to the world. So you've just proven my point. Okay. Well, have fun with that. Have fun <laughs> over there in your high horse. It's not a high blood. horse. It's a real sins of the father situation where every once in a while we just look at our blood-soaked hands and go, why? Why was I made? Anyway, um, so that's fun. Let's we'll, we'll, we'll ground that talk for next time. So let's tell the fine people at home where we can be found between now and the next time we talk about the Green Knight. Uh, we begin, as always, with our guest. So, Logan Kenny, where can people find your work online? Uh, you can find my work at my Substack, which is just Logan Kenny at that dot substack.com but you should go and sign up for so that i can i can like i don't know feed myself um you can also find me at the film stage where i review movies that no one else wants to um you can find me at little white lies cinematary and on twitter at logan kenny one if you want to see me talk about some bullshit all right bill graham 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CableBFG, and you can find me on Instagram at Billstagram. All right, Robin Barr. Uh, it's just my name on Twitter. It's uh, R-O-B-Y-N-B-A-H-R. Uh, you can sometimes find my writing at The Hollywood Reporter. As for me, uh, you can find me on all the social medias uh, at Brian J. Rowan. Uh, if you'd like to see more pictures of my daughter and my dog, definitely go there. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Brian J. Rowan, Letterboxd at Brian J. Rowan. Don't forget uh, to check out my distillery, SchmidtSpirits.com. We just announced that we're going to be throwing an art show in a couple months, and uh, we are soliciting uh, submissions uh, by artists and people who'd like to be featured, so go check that out. And um, what else? Yeah, you can find every episode of this year podcast over at the film stage where you can also find most, if not all, of my movie writing. So go do that. Uh, anyway, that's it for us for tonight. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and tune in next time. We'll get